get full access to RFR only on Patreon. Become a member of the RFR Patreon community to get more Rebel Force Radio. Bonus shows and content are available right now only at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. Get clothes handpicked by a stylist to fit your life with Bombfell. Visit bombfell.com slash RFR to save $25 right now. Find the right clothes for you. Bombfell.com slash RFR. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we do this. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. Colin Trevorrow in the news, talking about the downsides of making a Star Wars movie. Yep. He said, unfortunately, Ryan's film, episode eight, he's talking about The Last Jedi, is the first one that I won't be able to watch as an audience member. A privilege I got with The Force Awakens. I just got to see it. With a Star Wars fan. I got to sit next to my kid and just giggle as we read The Crawl because we were so excited. Rogue One was the same way. I didn't see it in advance, but not so. He's in the club. And now he's no longer can just be a fan. But I think things could be worse. It could be (laughs) Miller or Lord right now. Things can always get worse. Um, But, you know, George Lucas himself even said that, you know, that was one of the downsides of being... George Lucas was that he never saw Star Wars the way everyone everyone else did, the way we all enjoyed it. He he, he didn't have a Star Wars. But anyway, things can always be worse. Like I say, just ask Miller and Lord. Too soon? All right. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. (laughs) Those wounds are fresh. I know. I know. I'm just kidding. Trying to have a little fun, folks, here on Rebel Force Radio this week's show for July 12th. 2017 great to be back with you after our uh, summer vacation we took a little summer break um and when i say break i mean i took a break jimmy just stayed in the studio and cranked out more shows and and more content so i come back oh well you know i took a break i took a break sir but just today we did release star wars influences number 24 with paul bateman and uh, that's a very cool show. And we talk about uh, things like young Han Solo set images and news, forces of destiny shorts, animated shorts, Adam Driver quotes about The Last Jedi. So I don't even know if you really need me for this show because I kind of already did it. Well, no, no, no. no? You need to go away because I need to introduce <laughs> Jimmy Mack. So you can't be Jimmy Mack because I haven't introduced Jimmy Mack yet. 
Oh, is that right? So whoever oh, you are, that. stranger, oh, get out of here. Okay, this is a technicality. Yeah. And and only because of that, I will stick around for this show. All right. Go get your shine box while I introduce Jimmy Mack. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. That's a little early for the Goodfellas quotes, but... Uh, Those usually come hey. after 11 o'clock, so... Uh. <laughs> hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Forget about it. We're here to talk about Star Wars and not Goodfellas, and I'm really looking forward to... Because there's been so much news breaking this week. There's been controversy. There's fresh animation, Star Wars animation out there for us to talk about and review. And uh, we have a special guest with us for this week, and uh, I'm really excited to have her back on Rebel Force Radio. That is right. You've heard her on many, many podcasts, including Fangirls Going Rogue. We've got Star Wars Bookworms, uh, Rebel Yell, and Disney Vault Talk with our good pal, Steve Glosson. Big Steve. Uh, also, Galactic Fashion for Jedi News and Fangirl Chat. When does she have time to do anything else? We'll find out. <laughs> we bring her on here, Teresa Delgado. Teresa, welcome to Rebel Force Radio. Oh my gosh, it's been so long since I've been on Rebel Force Radio proper. Like Too long. Really long, so I'm excited. I thought you were going to yes. say it's been so long since you did a podcast. I no, mean, that you... was like last night or the night before. <laughs> yeah, was really? It, was it like an hour ago? Yeah, something like that. You're very prolific, Teresa. It's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, no, truly, you, uh, it, it is, I mean, I know how much work it is to do just what I do when I do like a tenth of what Jimmy Mack does. I can't imagine doing all of those shows. It's crazy. Well, I'm I'm lucky. My co-hosts are the ones that do most of the editing, so I just have to do like the prep work beforehand, show up and talk, and then I'm done. Oh, so. you got the Jason Swank deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You. I, you know what? I think that's going to be the name of my uh, autobiography, Show Up and Talk. That's just going <laughs> to be it. The Jason um, Swank deal. Well, you guys are birds of a feather, and I'm happy you're both here to talk. And uh, I know Teresa, being co-host of all of these great shows, she's going to have a lot to say about breaking news and uh, especially uh, things going on uh, with D23 this weekend. Yeah, D23 is coming up. I Like I was telling you guys before the show, I'm really excited. I wish I could be there, but luckily I'll be able to just follow it. There's a lot of people going that I know will be live tweeting stuff and things like that. So I can just follow what they're doing and then retweet it. Have you ever been to D23, Teresa? <laughs> no, I've never been. It's one of the conventions I've never gotten to go to that I actually really want to go to. Well, it's coming up. Unlike, here. unlike San Diego Comic-Con, I have no desire to go there <laughs> ever. You know, you and me both. No, 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 no <laughs> desire. I, I just, it's, it's too big. I, I think too that, crowded. Uh, yeah. I don't know how people truly enjoy themselves. Um, no, they, I don't know. Cause it's like, you have to pick one thing to do for the whole weekend. It seems like. But, I mean, I know, right? The exhibitor hall—that's that—is intriguing to me because I could just get lost in all of the the merch and all that stuff. I love that stuff. But um, this D twenty three has been kind of a mystery to me. Uh, it's coming up this weekend, July fourteenth through the sixteenth, uh, at the Anaheim Convention Center. What do you know about it in terms of just its layout? Is it comparable to a Star Wars celebration or a Comic Con? I mean, it's just Disney properties, which now is pretty much. 80% of all entertainment, it seems like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. But, but what, what, paint the picture for us as far as what you know, it happens there. Well, from what I know, it's changed drastically over the last, I guess, four or five years that they've had it. And last year was when it really turned into more of like a celebration type comparable convention. 
but it's almost like it's a celebration with that whole family oriented, lots of kids stuff to do fun for everybody with a little bit of maybe like a New York comic con vibe, like those bigger panels Mm. and bigger things going on. So for example, they do the whole thing the very first day where they have the Disney legends that like they induct into the hall of fame. So there's all kinds of people there. And I don't remember everybody from this year, but I know Carrie Fisher is one of them. I think Stan Lee is one of them. And Mark Hamill. And Mark. I didn't know that one. Um, Yeah, so there's, that's a big, a big thing. But I think the big panels everybody's looking forward to are going to be the Disney Parks panel, which I believe is on Saturday. Because there is supposed to be stuff announced for Star Wars Land on both coasts and Pixar Place, I believe. I know there's going to be a model there of what Star Wars Land is going to look like. Ooh. A big, a big model. Um, I know Riley Blanton was talking about going to go see that. So hopefully we'll get some pictures of that. And then, of course, the feature films panel will be on Saturday as well. This is the live action films. And so... We're supposed to see some Star Wars stuff, possibly a Last Jedi sizzle reel of sorts. Yeah. Now, why wouldn't you say a trailer? Well, the only reason I say that I'm not saying trailer is because they've, like, released some stuff online, I guess. I haven't seen it, but that possibly there won't be a trailer, but there will be this behind-the-scenes reel. So maybe a trailer is not ready yet. I don't know. Well, that would be similar to how... uh promotion went down a couple of years ago for the force awakens when they had a sizzle reel at San Diego Mm comic-con. Uh, there was a lot of speculation. Are they going to show a trailer, but they showed an incredible behind the scenes sizzle reel for the force awakens. And then, uh, last year, um, at, uh, I believe it was star Wars celebration. Then they showed another sizzle reel. So it's like summertime, the, the, the weather is sizzling, and uh, so they got the sizzle reel. Uh, I, that's typically the summertime tie-in as far as these conventions go. Yeah, so, I mean, um, to answer your question, Jason, as far as the way that it, I, there's a convention floor for sure, and then there's the panel rooms. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's gotten progressively harder to get into the panels, so there is a lot of waiting in line the night before type of deal. I just hope that Disney handles it a little bit better than this yeah. past celebration. Yeah, I was wondering if people would be uh, sleeping outside the uh, convention center like uh, the, the way they were at Comic or at uh, Star Wars Celebration. Hopefully, they've gotten a handle on that. Now, we should say, in fairness, that it's a different. Uh, I mean, the D twenty three is all baked right there within the Disney company. There's no outside convention right. promoters. There's no read uh, in involvement there with the. Uh, with that show, so right, it, yeah. So maybe this is, uh, maybe this is, uh, you know, a sign of what what's to come. I mean, I, I see a day when, you know, Disney and Lucasfilm don't necessarily need a read. If they're putting on something as big as D twenty three, they could certainly do a Star Wars celebration on their own. I would think. Oh yeah, and you know, D twenty three started out as being this event for mem- people that were just D twenty three members, and then. As they started to, I guess, get in with the Comic-Con vibe, they were like, hey, we could have a whole convention just for all of our stuff. Mm -hmm. And so now it's become an actual, like, Disney convention. 
yeah. as opposed to what it used to be was just this smaller event where they would showcase special stuff just for their members. And so now it's much bigger. They have four stages this year. They have Hall D23, which is going to be where like the Legends event is and the bigger panels. And then D23 Expo Arena, this is where they're going to have some of the smaller ones, things focused on films. I know on Sunday, I'm looking at Sunday, they've got some stuff specific to the 80th anniversary of Snow White, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Stage, and then they have like Stage 28, which is, I don't know, it seems interesting. I can't really tell. It looks like a lot of TV show stuff on that one. Mm. I have have some news here from the Nerdist. Uh Apparently, this was posted up in the last week or so. Uh, where their sources say D23 will not have a new trailer for The Last Jedi. And that's the Nerdist reporting on what their sources are telling them. But uh, Ryan Johnson will be in the house. He will be there. Yeah, he went to Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was asked. Now, Ryan Johnson, he he definitely engages with uh, all kinds of fans and people on online. Uh, Steven Weintraub asked him... Uh, Right on Twitter said, hearing we're not getting a new Star Wars The Last Jedi trailer at D23 or Comic-Con, heard some new behind-the-scenes footage at D23. Um, and then it went, came right out and asked Ryan Johnson if he will be there. And Ryan Johnson tweeted back, yes. I guess channeling Cobra Commander there. He's got like nine S's there. Yes. <laughs> so he said, yes. yes, he's going to be there. And so uh, the follow-up question was, and are you going to be sharing things? Silence. So, no word for <laughs> no. With many yeah, well, we, after. We know other Star Wars people are going to be there. I know Vanessa Marshall is going to be there on Friday, but she's not there for Star Wars. She's going for Marvel, for her voice of Gamora. Oh. So she's going for the Marvel animation panel. So I'm sure there's going to be other people there also that are part of that whole Disney Star Wars family. You know, I I really enjoyed the sizzle reels for the last two films. I thought that um, you get an opportunity. Uh, it, it, you know, the, a trailer is going to be very fast paced and with a lot of quick cuts and all of that. And so I felt like the uh, you know the 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 sizzle reels could be a little bit more atmospheric, could tell a little bit more of a narrative of a story. And uh, I just I just love the way they were put together, particularly the one for Force Awakens with. Mark Hamill narrating. I just I thought it was fantastic. So I'm just as excited um, to see something like that as I am a trailer. To be quite honest with you, I'm not. I'm excited, but not as excited. I'm not as excited. I would be more excited if I thought a trailer was going to be launching on Saturday. Hey, don't get me wrong. And I love that new Star Wars, but I want a trailer. (sighs) Yeah, I think it would be cool, but it's interesting that they don't have a Star Wars panel like for the star wars films they they're just putting it in with the live action films so maybe if they had a star wars panel all by itself then there would be a trailer Uh, you know yeah yeah that's that's true it's 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 interesting that you bring that up because you would think that they would do that but are any of the films uh getting their own standalone panels that you know of teresa um Let's see here. All the Pixar and animation films are together. The only ones that are getting anything on their own are ones that are having like anniversaries, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Or like shows like Golden Girls that they're celebrating longevity of. Wait a minute, wait a minute. minute. Golden Girls is a Disney property? 
I it's it is in a way because of who made it and being owned by one of the Disney things. What, I think. Then where is the costumed Sophia walking around with the little wicker purse <laughs> when I go to Disney? <laughs> can you imagine? And, and, oh, and keep me away great. from and keep me away from Blanche, okay? Yeah, I'm just get some <laughs> Maude Adams. Yeah, not Maude only- Adams. Not Maude Adams. That's what am I thinking? That's Bond. Um, Maude. She played Maude. Well, that's B. Uh, Arthur, but you know, B. Arthur. Uh, obviously, God. a Star Wars connection there. Oh, that was a brain fart. That was. Yeah, Maude. Adams. Yeah, the only other things I'm seeing are like the new Ducktale show is getting its own panel. Wow. Okay, I'm excited to once, see that. Yeah. Once upon a time. The TV show is going to have its own panel. Hercules. Is any of this stuff going to be streaming online? I, that I don't know. But if I find it, you know, while it's going on, I'll make sure I tag you guys in it on social media. Oh, yeah, cool. Please. Thank you. Thank you very much. But I don't know as of now. Right now, the only convention I know of that really streams for its audience is Celebration. Well, I have to say, getting back to the Legends thing, I think it's wonderful that uh, they're paying tribute to Carrie Fisher. Uh, Mark Hamill is also getting the honors, as, as you mentioned, Jim. And uh, I can't, I got, I can't think of anybody that would that would relish and enjoy being a Disney legend more than a guy like Mark Hamill. Um, yes, who we know loves the parks and loves the uh, the whole the whole Disney vibe. Um, I believe George got was did George get it last year? Or was that two years ago? Now I think it was two years. ago. I think it was two years ago. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's great to see the Star Wars alums getting in there. Uh, hoping to see a a, a Peter Mayhew. Get the honors, you know, I'm, or you know, Harrison Ford, you know, Harrison Ford. Well, I mean, they've they've got the rights to Indiana Jones as well. You know, mm-hmm. maybe that's what they're waiting for. Maybe when that indie um, indie five movie comes out, they'll they'll give it to Harrison. Or perhaps they're holding out until they purchase the uh, rights for Air Force One, and that would be the theme. The theme the theme of the ride would be get off my plane. That would be amazing. A Air Force One ride. That would be fantastic. <laughs> and you could call it Get Off My Plane. Get Off My Plane. Yeah, one could only dream. Right. But I uh, do know a, a few people in Imagineering who happen to listen to Rebel Force Radio from time to time. So, uh, <laughs> you guys, there you go. Free of charge. That's right. That's right. Um, well, you know, uh, Teresa, amongst all of the... Uh, the shows that you do, uh, one that is, uh, I think, of particular interest to a lot of folks in the Star Wars fan community is uh, Star Wars Bookworms, where you take the you take it upon yourself to read all of these books so that we don't have to. Exactly, and it's great. <laughs> you're like a you're like a Cliff's Notes. So we wanted to kind of get your thoughts on you know some of the more uh, recent titles, and you know without. We don't have to be too spoilerific here, but uh, certainly, kind of give us your take on where you see the you know publishing going and and some of these um, you know major of you know bigger event novels like you know Thrawn for example. Uh, if, if if folks are listening and they read the now speaking of legends legends uh, Thrawn trilogy and some of the other books that featured uh, the the character in the past, is there? If they enjoyed those, should they be jumping into the latest book? What were your uh, What are your thoughts as someone who's been traveling with Grand Admiral <laughs> Thrawn for the last several years? Well, 
I have to stop you there because I don't know how much you guys know, but our listeners on Bookworms know I've never read the Thrawn trilogy. What? 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 <laughs> All right, this conversation is over. What's up with that? Why have you avoided? Because so, most consider that to be a masterpiece of Star Wars literature. It was, I never avoided it. It was never intentional. When I started reading the Star Wars books, I felt like I had to start at the beginning. So I looked at the timeline and the first ones at that time, the first book was the Darth Maul book. So that's actually where I started. And then, as you guys know, with Star Wars publishing at that time, they kept adding to the beginning of the timeline. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I had to keep going backwards. Oh, my God. In, in reading. Because I, I felt like I had to read it in order. So I just never made it that far. Wow. That would be, yeah, that would be difficult. I mean, it did. The canon got so massive. And here's somebody like yourself that uh, really wanted to digest all of it and and do it in a real I, I totally relate to what you're saying because I would have approached it in a very similar way I want to digest it in a in a logical chronological kind of way um, and you know uh, you were probably like what five years old when uh, the Thrawn novel first came out so let's let's be honest us old timers yeah. we remember those uh, displays at the uh, Walden books um, many moons ago but um so you never got to it. So you went into this book with what kind of, uh, you know, what, what kind of information about Grand Admiral Thrawn? Had you read anything about him prior? Obviously, no. you'd seen the Rebels. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so, so just the Rebel stuff. So just the Rebel stuff. So okay. I, I hadn't made it that far, and then. When I started reading, it was before I was really a part of fandom, so I didn't really ask anybody where I should start or what books to read, and none of my family had read them, so that's kind of how I just like, well, I guess I'll start with the first one. Mm -hmm. And then when we saw the trailer with Thrawn, and I knew he was coming, Mm -hmm. I decided... I want my first introduction to Thrawn to be what they're going to give me since this is canon. Mm. So I watched Rebels, and then when Thrawn came out, I read it. And so now all I'm doing right now is digesting what Disney Lucasfilm has given me. So as soon as as Rebels wraps up and we see where they're giving their end to Thrawn, then I'm going to go back and read the Thrawn trilogy. So for now, all I really know is what I've been given. Mm-hmm. But I can say from the review we did, my co-host Aaron Goins pointed out that just because you like Thrawn from the other books does not mean you will like this book because it's written very differently and uh-huh. Thrawn is portrayed differently. All right. How does the Thrawn of the, the new Timothy Zahn book match up to the Thrawn that we've been introduced to in Rebels. Very similar. And similar to the point that I actually read it via audiobook and Mark Thompson's voice of Thrawn, I think, Jimmy, you and I talked about this. Mark Thompson's voice of Thrawn is spine-chilling, just like his voice in the show. His voices of some of the other characters kind of start to get on your nerves (laughs) eventually. But Thrawn... Is just so spot on. There are a few things that are different, though, because in the show, he's very, oh, I don't know if, like, he's more cruel 
than he is in the books. Yes, yes. Because what you're dealing with uh, this Thrawn book, uh, Jason, is essentially the the origin of Thrawn as an Imperial officer. So you okay. see he's he's working his way up. And the, the audiobook, <laughs> Timothy Zahn's a great writer, and he found a really creative way to push the narrative forward. And the way he does that, instead of describing the character's actions with, you know, typical descriptive text and adjectives and adverbs and stuff. He, he has Thrawn describing everyone's facial reactions or attitudes or whatever in his thoughts as he is essentially summing up the people he's talking to. He's reading them, you know? So someone will make a statement like we have to get those bounty hunters. We have to get those pirates. And then You'll get the reverb with, um, let's see if, if I, I can, can do that. that. Oh, that's, that's not reverb. <laughs> check one, two, check one, two, one, two, one, two. Okay, so, so now we're inside Thrawn's head. And <laughs> this happens constantly. Here. Yeah, 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 it is. Don't touch that. You don't know where that's been. But, um, but so throughout the, the novel, uh, somebody say, yeah, we have to go catch those pirates. His stance stiffens. His facial expression tightens. He begins to perspire on his brow. And so this happens nonstop in the audiobook. Oh, and unfortunately, it gets a little tiresome after a while. I think it plays out better on paper because, like I said, Timothy Zahn is a great writer. And it's a very clever way he does that to push the narrative forward. But um, Thrawn is constantly thinking. Okay, so this but is that's, a that's, device to show you what a... Uh, a, st- uh, a strategic thinker he is. He's living in his head. He's very cerebral, right? So that's why this 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 particular technique makes sense in the context of the book. Swank's voice has a new confidence <laughs> as he thinks he has it figured out, but in reality, he doesn't. All right. Yeah, but it's exactly right. But at the same time, for me, it makes Thrawn even creepier because I'm one of those people that I'm not afraid of ghosts or like paranormal stuff, but people who have derangements, you know, and would sneak into your house at night like those people, <laughs> yeah, they yeah. they creep me out and and they make Thrawn like that. Like, I don't need to know that he's he knows when my hand is going to move. Like, <laughs> Teresa's attitude has shifted from optimism to cynicism. This should be noted for future reference. <laughs> you see so, what I mean? So he's, he's almost, it sounds like he's almost like a like a computer the way he thinks. I mean, it's uh, well, of course, the similarities to Sherlock Holmes uh, will yes, be brought yeah. up. Right. And, it, and it was a very similar approach they took with Tarkin in his standalone novel from a year and a half ago or whatever. Um, that uh, that also featured a lot of Sherlock Holmes deductions. Mm-hmm. But we weren't taken inside Tarkin's head like we are with Ron. No. And uh, it's interesting. So, I mean, that's a, that's a minor quibble I have about the audiobook itself is um, uh, that constant bouncing back into Thrawn's head. It's it, sometimes it's it's really fun. I think it's fun in general, but it can get a little tiresome. And then the other thing is Eli Vantos. 
Well, he's a very interesting <laughs> character. He's uh, Eli Vantos, uh, Jason, is a guy who was assigned to Thrawn very early on after uh, he came into uh, the Imperial ranks um, and was, was coming up through the ranks as a cadet. This other cadet was assigned to him to serve as a translator and uh and he basically becomes thrawn's assistant and and uh, you know uh pawn a lot of times mm. but he the way they voice him in the thrawn's book, pawn. The way mark thompson yeah. the, the way mark i'm sorry uh, thrawn's, thrawn's pawn. pawn okay thrawn's yeah, pawn uh, yeah very, very yeah hilarious yeah, thank you. um thank you <laughs> <laughs> Teresa, Teresa, write that down write that down and share that on Star right Wars bookworms on see how that goes day. over yeah. <laughs> but um but uh, Eli Vantos, the way they voice him, they make him sound like George W. Bush. It's, it, <laughs> now, look here, Thrawn. I think that you had something to do with my reassignment to this ship. You know, it'll be, it'll be really, it's, it's really sounds like, don't you agree, Teresa? Well, yeah, because he's supposed to sound like he's from, you know, the outskirts, like backwater country boy type of deal. So, yes. Yeah. What's that that region that he's from? The Outlands or something? Oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. the outskirts. I don't know. I read Alex. it like is, I he, read an, it like is he an Outlander? Because then he's wearing a poncho. <laughs> no, what on. is he? He's from the out. It's the Outer Rim area, outer but they rim, have a yeah. the oh Wild Space. Wild That's Space. It. That's wild. where he's from. Right. So they're they're basically so they're saying Star Wars that, hillbillies. Yeah, they're wild saying space, that okay. that Wild Space is the deep south of Star oh. Wars. Yeah, so I bet there's a lot. <laughs> A lot, of, you know, a, a lot of pod racing going on out there. Yeah, you see that uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. boy racing that pod. <laughs> boy, he's. But you got to think of when you are voicing all of these characters in an audiobook, you only have so many places you can go vocally. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I've always wondered why they don't get somebody like a James Arnold Taylor, you know, like any of these really, really talented um, not, not, believe me, not that it, it, I know it's a very different discipline to actually read an audiobook and do what these guys do. I'm not taking anything away from them, but I've always wondered why they haven't looked at some of these incredible voice talents. But maybe it is just a much different discipline. Yeah. Um, I think, well, I think it is because, you know, not to say obviously James Arnold Taylor is super talented. They had Ashley read the Ahsoka novel, Ashley Eckstein. So she was reading the audiobook of that. And that was actually kind of hard to listen to, not because she does a bad job, but because Ahsoka is so her voice yep. that when she's Ahsoka and when she's narrating, it sounds exactly the same. Sure. And it was really hard to discern the difference. Now, somebody like James Arnold Taylor would probably be a whole lot better. Right. Because it would be like Matt did... Lanter narrating an Anakin book. I mean, it, right. Matt is, does a great job. I mean, he, in my, you know, my book, he is, when I think of Anakin Skywalker, I think of Matt's Anakin Skywalker from the Clone Wars. Um, but to your point, Teresa, it's, it, you know, it's not, uh, you know, uh, vocal aerobics exactly. It's his voice. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, what's interesting, kind of going back to Thrawn just for a minute, the character we were talking about, Eli Vanto, he is, if you've read the Thrawn trilogy, he's similar, I hear, to a character called Paleon. Yes, in, yes. Yeah. In Absolutely. the Thrawn trilogy. So he's sort of that equivalent character. So they do some of the same storytelling type of things, but with different 
and new characters uh, and yes in a different no. setting ish from I, that's just like obviously I don't know but I don't I don't see Thrawn necessarily using Pelion as as a, a, a sort of pawn and stuff like he he uses Vanto right um, he because he does he does use Vanto and he does. um and and you know by the time of Heir to the Empire. Thrawn is just doing his thing in the natural imperial hierarchy. So he is able to command everyone around him. Whereas, you know, Thrawn in this novel seems like he's, he's much more a, a manipulator because he doesn't necessarily have the power that comes with the rank until he obviously achieves it. But uh, And we see that growth happen throughout the book. And I'm trying to... to, to escape yes. this conversation without yeah. massive spoilers because it still isn't even out in paperback yet. So I, 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 w- I just want to be careful, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's a, a great, um, great review. Um, but I really think before we run out of time, I'd like to get into forces of destiny if we can, because I think a lot of people are, thinking a lot about this this animated show. All right, before we get into Forces of Destiny, just take a brief time out here and talk about a problem that a lot of guys have, and that is shopping for clothes. Jim, I'm sure you can relate to this. How often do you get out to the stores to shop for clothes for yourself? By myself? Well, by Never. Your, but clothes for you, right? Clothes it's- for me, maybe twice a year. Twice a year. That is, that's no way to build or expand a wardrobe. And one of the reasons that you don't is because you don't have the time. But that's where our new sponsor comes in, Bombfell. Here's how Bombfell works. You go online, you sign up for an account, you fill out your measurements, your style preferences, you tell them about yourself, and you set a budget that you're comfortable with spending on a monthly basis on clothes and they're going to set up your order they're going to actually assign you your own stylist who's going to take all of those preferences all of those facts about yourself your body shape your type the things that you like the things that you don't like and they're going to personally curate clothes for you they're going to send you an email and it's case it's going to say here's what we sent you you can cancel you can change anything If they don't hear from you, or if you give them the all clear, they're going to send you those clothes within 48 hours. But it doesn't end there. There's still no obligation to keep or buy anything. You've got seven days to try it on. See if it fits. How do you like it? Does the wife like it? Does the girlfriend like it? Does the boyfriend like it? Do the kids laugh at you when you come down? They're not going to because you got your own stylist. And if there's something that you don't like, something that doesn't fit quite right, there's no obligation. You don't have to buy it. You can uh, pack it away in the uh, uh, in the re- in the return envelope, and it's free shipping both ways. It's fully personalized. Everything is handpicked by a per- personal stylist, and they scour menswear collections of the best brands and send you the pieces that they'll think work great on you. You have your own personal shopper it's fantastic and just for you rebel force radio listeners we're going to give you 25 dollars off your first purchase just go to bombfell.com that's b-o-m-b-f-e-l-l.com slash r-f-r sign up today get 25 dollars off your first purchase bombfell and they are the bomb 
B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L.com. And I'll tell you, they sent me some clothes. Yeah. They sent me some clothes, and they got it right out of the gate. Right really? out of the gate. Uh, they have a great questionnaire that helps them get to know the kind of clothes that you like, the stuff that you want to wear, the stuff that, and the stuff that you don't want to wear. And I got, I really, I got a great um, a zipper pullover. Uh, I got a fantastic uh, button-down shirt, which is which is really great. It's kind of a kind of a plaid, not a George Lucas plaid, but uh, kind of a, a nice plaid pattern. And uh, some really cool uh, chino pants that are kind of cut like a jean, but they're uh, more of a of a of a cotton uh, type pant. Um, so really hip, great looking clothes. The wife gave me the thumbs up. Even my daughter gave me the thumbs up when I was modeling it for him today. And uh, good quality stuff too. Um, can't tell you uh, how flexible this is. And uh, there's no excuse. Now the clothes come right to you. You get that email preview, and then you get the clothes, and you got them for a week to try them on. Make sure that everything fits right. What doesn't fit or what you don't like, you can send back. And uh, I just couldn't say enough great things about Bombfell. So once again, that URL, Bombfell, B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash R-F-R. The choices we make, the actions we take, moments both big and small, shape us into forces of destiny. Now, to get the real treatment, I should play it eight times every two minutes. It gets burned on the brain. Now, that is Lupita Nyong'o as Maz Kanata uh, doing the intro for Forces of Destiny. And I, uh, I just watched it. Uh, tonight with uh, with my eight year old watched we watched every single episode, uh, but Jim, um, you've seen it now I think a couple of times each episode. So yes. uh, break it on down for us. Forces of destiny, the choices we make. No, um, it's uh, <laughs> these are, are little um, shorts. You know, everyone knows that uh, they, they've been on YouTube uh, released uh, one a day for the last week or so, and. Um, and uh, they're 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 fun. They're they're. I said on Star Wars influences, I felt like they were lightweight and fluffy, and they are. And uh, but it, it, like these aren't stories we're going to be sitting down having roundtables about. But uh, but they're fun, and um, apparently they are canon. At least they are true to Star Wars canon. Is is how they're actually explained in the the press release. I know Leland Chi has been receiving a lot of texts and tweets this past week and uh, i think he's uh, handling it as well as he can but i i don't think it's anything to get too round up you know wound up about as far as is how it fits into the saga on a whole because it doesn't really affect too much but there is some cool stuff in here so i'd like to break it down if we can rapid fire style episode by episode all right sands of jakku Kick things off uh, right there as we uh, we see what happens after immediately after uh, Ray meets BB-8 and uh, BB has already kind of you know charmed his way into uh, Ray's good graces and we get a glimpse of this creature uh, in the actual film Force Awakens uh, but literally and figuratively just a glimpse 
as there's a lot more to this creature than than meets the eye. Um, and all of a sudden, it's this giant sand monster that eats garbage, basically eats junk. <laughs> and and I actually, you know, the more I thought about this, it, at first I thought, well, that's a real crazy idea. But when you think about evolution, when you think about the just the sheer variety of life that could be out there in the galaxy. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense that in a in a wasteoid planet like that, that the creatures that would survive and get large would be the ones that could adapt to somehow digesting whatever it gets a hold of. In this case, you know, metal and God knows uh, what all. Now, we also then see the BB-8 bandit. So this is kind of a, a, a two-parter in a way where um, this is... Uh, Ray and BB-8 heading off um, to uh, what's the what's the site where she's the the campsite the the city Nima Outpost yeah out to Nima Outpost um, and all Tito no one ruins a party like Tito as we know <laughs> so he shows up and um, they actually use the monster to their advantage now one thing that stuck out at me about this and this was a common theme I saw Teresa throughout these episodes is that they really downplayed, not that Star Wars is full of violence, it's, it's, it's not. I mean, Rogue One is perhaps maybe the, in some ways the most intense in areas. Um, but they really downplayed the violence uh, to the point of, you know, here, here's Rey, she just gets you know, through saving BB-8 from the, the, the jaws of this, uh, of this creature, Yet she feels compassion towards it and even throws him a little metal bone there at the end. But this is a theme that we see throughout these things. They're almost like little uh, kind of like little moral plays in a way. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what they were going for is these episodes are sort of meant to I think they're meant for everybody, but they're also meant to introduce some of our younger fans to these characters in a slightly more in-depth way. And maybe, you know, their attention spans since our younger kids are all about the YouTube videos and the quick games you can play on your phone. Right. Well, here's two and a half, three minutes of some Star Wars for you to see, learn a little bit more about these characters that you like. And so they got to see one of Ray's maybe her truest traits, which is her compassion and, you know, kindness. And I think that they kind of chose to highlight a little bit about those different things in each of our characters. So specifically for her, I think it was that. And with the Night Watcher worm, she was like, I know that you're just hungry. I know you don't want to kill him. So here's something for you to eat. And then she found a way to use him to her advantage to get away from Tito and his thugs. You know, so we also got to see her cleverness. So that was kind of cool. I think you're absolutely right that w- what they did is they sort of distilled the character down into, you know, her uh, her core, which is her compassion. And at the same time, she's a total badass. Right. So those two qualities of her. Jim, I think there's a, a lot of cool going on here in this little mini episode because anything with BB-8 is just cool. And uh, the weirdness factor, though, is is the Night Watcher worm. 
because, uh, you know, as a Star Wars fan, I, I think I deserve the right to be a little nitpicky. And uh, <laughs> so I open my TFA Visual Dictionary to page 35, and I look at the data file on the, uh, the Night Watcher worm. It reads, native life forms include the little documented nocturnal sand borer known as the Night Watcher worm. So nocturnal, number one. So we see the Night Watcher worm in action during the daytime, which is against its common nature. But, yeah, the, the nocturnal part was like, oh, there's a night worm at daytime. I'm just being nitpicky. I understand that this is uh, something designed to be a gateway for younger children to get involved in Star Wars. Maybe kids who've never seen Star Wars before will come across these shorts and they'll watch them. And this will be their introduction into Star Wars. And they'll say, you know what? I want more of that. And so that's why I think this is great. And, yes, it's created in little bite-sized chunks so younger kids with shorter attention spans can watch it, get something out of it in two minutes, two and a half minutes, whatever. And I love the fact that it reminds me of old Saturday morning animation and, yes. uh, you know, I sat there this past Saturday and uh, watched uh, all of them that were released up to that time. I think there were five of them out at that time. And I sat there with a bowl of cereal and watched them. And it was just great because that was the Saturday morning Star Wars experience I used to dream about when I was a kid in the 70s. And so I think about those kids today. This is a great introduction for them into the Star Wars universe. And uh, so any little nitpicking I'm going to do here, and I am going to do it because it's fun. And because it's Star Wars, and gosh darn it, I'm going to reserve my right as a Star Wars fan to point out little things here and there. But, but uh, on the whole, I think this series is extremely effective in uh, introducing younger fans to Star Wars, to, to, to create new fans. And I think that's just an awesome thing. Plus, we get all these great characters, and we get to see more of. And as we go down uh, the, the list... Uh, you'll hear I have a lot of cool things to say about some of these episodes. <laughs> well, I, the isn't the isn't the Nightwatcher worm essentially the Dianoga, like well, only with two funny. eyes? Now, because it, they call it a worm, you'd ex, you'd expect it to have a more worm-like body, right? But since well, they don't know much worms about it, from Beetlejuice, you know, or uh, Tremors. Tremors. A lot of people online were a lot of people online were talking tremors. But if I could just refer back to the uh, visual guide again, it does say that it is little documented. So even the people who are native to Jakku, I mean, perhaps Ray has encountered a, a night watcher worm in uh, you know out in the wild in such a way that no one else has ever seen it before. I mean, well, you've watched Shark Week, right? And they always talk yes. about the rogue shark. The shark that doesn't behave like all the other sharks. That's what Maybe I think we got. Maybe we've, we've got a rogue night watcher worm. That's what I'm thinking. Could Maybe be. it tried to eat her house so she knows it. Yeah. Well, I think this is their introduction to each other. <laughs> I, I think. I don't know. But it's, it's funny you bring up the Dianoga. Because for the longest time, you thought that that was more of a worm-like thing. You don't ever see its body in within the uh, trash compactor on the Death Star, you only see its stalk head and the tentacles. So you could just assume that the thing's just one big eel or snake or whatever, but it actually does have something of a chunky body, and the Night Watcher worm is very similar to that. And so I, I did note the similarities between the Night Watcher and uh, the Dianoga. As a matter of fact, there's probably already websites out there dedicated to the Night Watcher worm Dianoga uh, connection, uh, you know, perhaps they've already been uh, 
classified, you know, species, all that stuff. And uh, so I'm just getting I, caught up. Was I the only one, guys, that was uh, thinking immediately of R2 on Dagobah when he gets eaten by... Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, then, and then spit out. I mean, I was just waiting for Ray to say, good thing you don't taste very good. Oh. Uh, ah. <laughs> nice. But uh, no, that's a, that's a cool connection, too. But yeah. apparently the appetites are very different. Very different. All right, so then we get into... Um, so it was really fun. You know, as I said, I was watching this with, uh, with my daughter. My son... Um, I w- you know when, when kids get in that contrarian phase... Where you know that they'll like something, you know that they're into something, but the more excited you are as the parent, the less appealing it is to them. Yeah. So, so Parker's mm-hmm. just in this contrarian phase. So I got home. I said, "Hey guys, we're going to watch um, the Star Wars, the new Star Wars uh, animated show. We're going to watch Forces of Destiny." And Bailey was all excited, and Parker was like, "I don't want to watch that. I don't, you don't even know what it is. What do you mean you don't want to watch it? It's Star Wars. I'm going to think it's boring. It's boring." <laughs> So no. he was. So he went up to uh, he went up to his bedroom with his mom, and they they watched a uh, guy I don't know some YouTube you know probably some unboxing toy video. But Bailey and I we sat down and we watched all of these, and it what was really fun is you know as we're flipping through YouTube on the TV, you know she would go, oh this is a Princess Leia one, or oh there's a Soka. Um, so I mean it was just. It was it was it was a real it was a real thrill actually when but she was pulling out some things that I never knew that she picked up like um, the the one that was really um, I thought interesting was she said oh the wampa I didn't know she knew that you know a, what a wampa was I know she knows that that's the the creature in Empire Strikes Back but I didn't know she knew what the the wampa was and she did it a couple of times where she threw out some terms I'm like yes. Yes, this is all working out very nicely. <laughs> has she has she seen any of the Freemaker adventures? She has not watched Freemakers, but but my oh, son okay, has. Well. My son loves the Freemakers. He's, well, then maybe he's talked about it because there's a Wampa in there and a baby Wampa. Oh, so if that, could be. that has come up, then she might have put it together with Lego Wampa, Big Wampa. Yeah, but she was very excited to see. Not just Princess Leia, but the Ewoks. And um, I, I, this next one I really thought was cute. The, the, the Ewok escape. Um, I especially love that we got to see the origin of the Leia dress. Finally. Like, yeah, finally. And I was thinking, like, <laughs> where did this dress come from? But then I realized, obviously, they, we know from the, the Ewok adventure films that they've encountered humans before, that there could have been a human that they uh, knew uh, and, and, and perhaps... You know, they they ended up with her dress. I don't want to draw any conclusions, but they ended up with a dress somehow. And, you know, that was very special to them. So Leia comes in. She helps uh, save Wicket. She helps save these other two Ewoks. And they honor her by giving her this dress. I, I That one, I, I think this may have been my favorite. I really enjoyed this. Well, it's fun because it does fill in some uh, missing elements from Return of the Jedi. Uh, specifically on the timeline, this falls right after Wicket saves Leia from the biker scouts in Jedi. And so it's cool that then in this this little short that we see that sort of fills in the blank as they as, as they arrive at the, uh, at the Ewok village, it's cool that Leia is able to return the favor and she saves Wicket from the stormtroopers. Then they arrive at the, uh, at the village... And it appears Leia's looking out into the forest, sort of uh, doing some recon or maybe 
trying to see if she can spot her fellow rebels. And then they, they, they bring the dress to her. But there's still, you know, for the longest time as I watched Return of the Jedi, I had always wondered, why did Leia have to change into the dress? What was the purpose of that exactly? Now, I would have understood if she spilled some mustard on her shirt or something. Or, oh, no. And then they, here's a dress. Change. And so then, you know, but I mean, it just seems like for at the moment, it's and, and she can't understand them. So she wouldn't realize that she would need to put on the dress if it was some sort of way of honoring their tribe or something. Maybe that's it. Maybe she was somehow able to read between the lines and say, well, you know what? These little uh, maniacs are known to eat meat, human meat specifically. <laughs> so maybe if I put on the dress, I'm part of the tribe. <laughs> and uh, so they won't uh, put me right. on the barbecue. Well, let, let me ask you, Teresa. So, so you're Leia, right? You've just had this experience with the Ewoks, and they're sort of showing deference to you, and they present you with this dress. Do you assume, like, I should, I should probably put this on? You know, it's like yes. when somebody gives you an article of clothing, like, I should show them I appreciate it, even if it's ugly, right? I mean, you're going to... Yeah, I mean, like, even in that instance, for me, if I was her, I'm in their home, I have one of them has saved me and now I have helped save them and they look very excited to give me this dress <laughs> and they they are very eager about it. So <laughs> I should go change so that they know since I can't communicate with them so that they know I'm just as excited about what we all just experienced together and that we're friends. So I would go and change. <laughs> Do we think that the Ewoks made the dress? Yes. It looks a little crude, right? I, I mean, it, I think so. Yeah. I think they did. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think they, they made it for someone else, and then that person, some, something happened to them and got eaten. And, oh. then, they... and then Leia was there, and it, it, was, it was like Johnny Bravo on the Brady Bunch. She, she fit the suit. So perfect. <laughs> uh, I, I tell you, I think the reason, a couple reasons I like this one, you know, as, as longtime listeners know, Return of the Jedi is my favorite film. So I love anything that fits within that that time frame, and and also Jim, as you mentioned, you know, for those of us that that grew up and 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 honestly kind of suffered through Ewoks and droids, based on sort of the hope that maybe someday it would get better, um, this kind of reminded me of that a little bit, and I thought like, wow, this is like reaching back to the kid in me that this was sort of the the Star Wars cartoon that you wanted. Back in the you know back in the in the early eighties, so that was yes. kind of it was sort of like this is what the promise of an Ewoks cartoon could have been. Absolutely, and I hope this is a template for something bigger. I hope that this is just sort of a a sample, a little test run for then maybe something down the road that is a little longer, has a little more substance to it, and really has stories that will impact the Star Wars universe as we know it, via animation. And I'm, I'm fine with the 2D animation. Um, it is a little crude. It is done on the cheap. There's no question about it. But I think that if, if it were to be pushed forward into a series, you would see improvements in that arena, no question about it. And uh, it could be something that would make a nice anthology show that could uh, you know fill the summer times for years to come. I, I would be absolutely uh, thrilled with something like that. 
especially considering the voice talent they have for these episodes. Yes. They have such great voice talent. I want to hear more. I want to, I want to get more acting out of them and, and really build stories around the characters. What's great about Ewok escape is that we're getting the debut of a voice actress. Um, Oh, I don't have her name. Shelby Young. Shelby Young. And I think she does a great Leia because she did too. She captures both the sweet and the salty. You <laughs> yeah. hear it in, you, you know, the, she, she has that Leia with, it, with the edge. She puts the, just the right amount of edge onto it, which I, I really appreciated and made me think of Carrie Fisher. Yeah, I really liked it, too. And Return of the Jedi is my favorite movie also. So it was I've always wondered where the dress came from. So this was very helpful. (laughs) It was just, you know, it was like that perfect fill in the gap story. I do know that this is not the only Ewok uh, episode. We'll be getting another one in October. And I'm so excited for that one because that one has Hera in it. Oh, Hera (laughs) with the Ewoks. Hera, Hera, Leia and Han. Whoa, wait a minute. Whoa. Hera, mm-hmm. Leia, and Han. So does this put Hera at the Battle of Endor? I, not necessarily, but we do know that Hera is alive in that time frame. We know that from Freemaker Adventures because oh. even though the stories of Freemaker Adventures are not canon, if the characters are in the show in that timeline... They are alive at that time. Right. So it's not canon. And like Forces of Destiny, it's true to canon. Right. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Uh, Well, Pablo uh, Hidalgo had some comments about canon and (laughs) the details, the small details uh, he mentioned on Twitter. We'll we'll be talking about those in in a few moments. But uh, going through here. Now, the fourth episode, The Padawan Path... um, I was really, really anxious and excited to see uh, and hear our beloved characters from the Clone Wars. And I, I, and I, I don't know if it's too soon to say, but for me, I think Clone Wars have officially entered the realm of nostalgia. This two minutes made me so nostalgic for the Clone Wars. Um, there's always going to be something, you know, obviously our, the, the, the trajectory of our, our time podcasting, you know, kind of coincided with as the Clone Wars was coming up. So there's always gonna be something very sentimental, very special about that era. And, uh, I was very, very excited to see this, but at the same time, I was just a hair disappointed. I wanted a little bit more. Um, I probably had maybe more expectation, out of this one, because knowing that it's it's Ahsoka, it's Clone Wars, it's Dave Filoni, um, and yet there I, there wasn't anything really, really there. Um, so this one was a disappointment, only from a you know a, a story perspective. Obviously, having Tom Kane and Matt Lanter and Ashley Eckstein back together again was awesome. But I wish there would have just been just a little hint of of something else. Yeah, basically the plot is she's on her way to the Jedi ceremony in Coruscant, Ahsoka, and she has to jump into action and and save a family and 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 others from a malfunctioning droid. It looks like that's a binary load lifter <laughs> that you hear. That that's what, what I think it is. I think that's what it is. For some reason, I, I recall seeing a 
picture of that in like a essential guide to droids about 20 years ago or something. And I'm like, oh, that must be a binary load lifter. <laughs> um, but so on the timeline, this clearly takes place during the latter half of the Clone Wars. Uh, primarily, the, the way I can tell this is Anakin has longer hair and Ahsoka's not in a halter top. Yep. So um, that's, uh, you and know, a, a clear indicator. And she has both lightsabers, which raises the coolness factor of these episodes up a notch. Um, the weirdness. What is the little Padawan braid charm Yoda gives Ahsoka? What's that all about? Doesn't she have that in the show at some point? Doesn't she get that? It just like appears like at one of the next seasons. Really? Yeah, I, 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 no, maybe I always I'm wrong. Noted, I always but... noted those beads she had hanging down, that little chain, what, what do you, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, and I always assumed, well, that is just tradition for the Jedi to wear something if, say, their species doesn't grow hair. I mean, if, if you have a species that grows a head of hair, you, you, you're like you uh, and McGregor and you have that long braid there or, or like uh, Anakin had. I mean, that's that's Jedi tradition. So how does a species who doesn't grow hair on top of their head represent that that symbol of being a Padawan? So so that's why I always thought Ahsoka was wearing that, that little chain there. And I, I took note of that very early in the season. That was something that I think was part of her character from the very beginning. Whether or not it evolved, I don't remember in the series her ever placing charms on it. Gosh, something. I think, I think maybe it gets longer in the show. I think it, I, I don't remember exactly, but I do think that like it starts at a certain level because she has the one that goes from like the center of her forehead towards her head tails yeah. and then kind of comes down and then I I think I remember and I could be remembering wrong, but as she gets older and like when she gets her two lightsabers and stuff, I vaguely remember it being longer like the semblance of the braid, but they never show her getting it longer. So maybe this is kind of like the dress. It's showing like how she got that piece, hmm. but maybe love, I'm wrong. And I, I think that is is truly the major strength of these little animated shorts is the fact that it is sort of filling in these little tiny spaces that you might not have even considered before, you know, and, and here you are, now you're, you're, you're being exposed to the bigger picture and it's just anything that sort of fills in the blanks in the, uh, in, in the star Wars, uh, chronology is really cool, especially to, you know, canon nerds like swank. Right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> hey, by the way, let's uh, since we're talking about Ahsoka real quick, uh, did you all see the uh, Dave Filoni Facebook post? Oh, my gosh. Kill me now. Why, Dave? Why? <laughs> so uh, if you didn't see it, um, Dave Filoni, was this on his birthday? What was the? Yes. The, I, that's right. Um, so Dave Filoni took to Twitter or Facebook to uh, post this uh, sketch of what would have been an encounter between Bendu and Ahsoka Tano. And this would have taken place likely uh, moments uh, or just before her encounter with Darth Vader at the end of Season 2. And the conversation would have gone something like this. Bendu says, you are set on this confrontation then. Ahsoka, I have to know the truth. Bendu, 
So be it. But understand this. Much will change as a result of this encounter, including you. Ahsoka, isn't that true of all things as time advances? Bendu, my dear, when I say change, I mean death. Ahsoka, so I will die? Bendu, will you? I didn't know that. Goodbye then, Ahsoka Tano, former Jedi Knight. Are you dead? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bendu. Oh, they need to have a, a 70s cartoon series where, where Bendu is sort of like the jabber jaws of the gang. And every episode <laughs> ends with like, oh, Bendu. And then they start jamming out to some, some 70s tune. Or they just start laughing. <laughs> And that's yes. the end of the and, episode. Yeah, and Bendu has the voice of Curly from the Three Stooges, too. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, inexplicably, hey, spread out. Why are you bringing your water to my planet? <laughs> so here you've got Dave Filoni, who, um, you know, according to, and this is a story at, at uh, io9. Uh, is saying, you know, Dave Filoni can't stop lampshading Ahsoka's death, even after confirming she's alive. Did Dave actually confirm no, that she's alive? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He wore that shirt, right? The yes. mysterious shirt with the question mark slash exclamation mm-hmm. point. Since when are T-shirts canon? Yeah. Well, all right, this just in from Pablo Hidalgo on Twitter. T-shirts <laughs> are not canon. <laughs> Dummy. Picture of cat on my lap. All right. So if Ahsoka is alive, right, does that do, – do we believe that at first? I mean, do, what do you think, Teresa? Is Ahsoka alive or is it still just, you know, she is if you believe it? What is the de- – but the definition of alive is different yeah. for everybody. See, yeah. See, like for me, I believe that she – that she is alive, but maybe not in the form that she was before. She can still be alive, but not as an actual physical person. Well, so this line is odd, right? So, so Bendu is saying, my dear, when I say change, I mean death. So I will die. And he says, will you? I didn't know that. Because he doesn't deal in absolutes. He's always vague. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Bendu. Oh, <laughs> so there you go. You can take a look at it. It's a beautiful sketch. I think Dave did the sketch, right? Is that a yeah. Dave Filoni? It's, it's just beautiful. And, um, you know, Dave can't quit Ahsoka. And I don't blame him. We can't. He likes to troll the fans. He, he does it. like to troll the fans. You're like absolutely right. He did, he did one before this. I forget what it was for. But the one where he drew Ahsoka a wolf and then an owl and he was like oh yeah the one that he was like um wolf ahsoka owl and then something about not the not the wolf (laughs) you know dave filoni wakes up and he goes it's my birthday i'm gonna mess with the fans (laughs) (laughs) that's his birthday present to himself right right so uh all right so uh ahsoka padawan path um then we go into uh, Beast of Echo Base, so uh, Princess Leia is back. And um, so, Jim, I'm curious as to what moment you felt was the weird in this one. If it's the same moment 
that I thought was really weird. Oh, uh, all right, yeah. Lay in R2. They have to free Chewbacca from the clutches of a wampa. This obviously happens on the timeline before the events of Empire Strikes Back, as the, the rebels are still settling on Hoth, and uh, Chewie, for some reason, has been given the job to dig out a tunnel by himself. And so he, uh, he had been working there, and they lost contact with him, and they find him in the clutches of a wampa. So now we get into the weird. Um, <laughs> Chewbacca, it could be said, is experiencing a Ned Beatty uh, deliverance moment. That's how some people online have looked at it. <laughs> not, not me. He's a teddy bear. But he's, he's, yeah, a, he's that's a teddy what bear. I took. What, what kind of dirty, sick people are watching this show? I'm only reporting I... things that uh, <laughs> Paul Bateman told me. Um, no, um, he's not like Chewbacca... Ned Beatty. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say that part. Um, as a matter of fact, Paul had nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> strange, strange animation, though. Um, I can't get over the way they animate Chewbacca, especially when we're used to the efforts of Lucas animation and the Clone Wars. Bring in Peter Mayhew so we can watch how he walks and we can replicate that and create the most perfect Chewbacca animation model that anyone could dream of. And they did that with the Clone Wars, in my uh, in my personal opinion. Here, uh, Chewbacca is weird. He's got he's just weird looking. He's got these weird black clawed hands. He's and he just acts he, he acts out of character the whole time. He acts out of character when when he finally is able to break loose of the free from the Wampa, which which was relatively A easy for Wampa. him. Sleeping Wampa. Yeah. So he, he, you know, he breaks loose. And what does he do? He hides behind Leia in R2. And I don't ever see Chewbacca doing something like and that. And then he, like, honestly. runs away. He's like, oh, okay, you're good. You can handle that by yourself. Bye. <laughs> now, we know we know Chewie was skittish about the Dianoga. So let's bring the trash compactor monster back into this. Okay? We know he was being a big baby about that. He didn't like that. Okay? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I would expect more from Chewbacca face to face with the Wampa than with the Dianoga. You know, maybe he was just, just Chewie obviously doesn't like water. Okay, we get that. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, well, you, know, fur, I mean, you know, yeah, it's that, that's terrible. that's rough. So, you know, I should take it. I, I, you hear me now? I'm starting to talk in circles because I'm reminding myself of the fact that Chewie was chicken and afraid of that Dianoga. So maybe it's not so out of character that he hides behind Leia and R2. But I think it is out of character that he'd let Leia then be the one to distract the Wampa while the other two worked on the door. You know, I just that part to me felt like Chewie was being way out of character. And with the strange animation, it removes any sort of threatening qualities Chewie has. If you look, he's always like nervous and he's like, uh, like, like a nervous little dog. Yeah. He's all twitchy. twitchy. He was like a, a, a puppy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird, but yeah, but it is, it is weird because he did have that going on and that was a little strange. And out of all of them, I would say this one was the one that felt weirdest to me. And it might be because of that. Yes. Yeah, good. We're, I think we're on the same page here. Because there were cool things. Again, Shelby Young returns to do the voice of Leia. And then we even get a little Anthony Daniels there popping mm-hmm. up yeah, on the comlink. Right, right. And, uh, you know, and 3PO, of course, exhibiting the worst timing ever, even when he's not there. <laughs> the worst timing. You know what I so. did like about this episode, though, is, you know, there's that... 
that cut scene that where three PO removes the sign uh, from the door with the wampa behind it, so that the stormtroopers go in there. Now we know the origin, right, mm-hmm. of of how mm. the wampa got in there and the door. Now, Jim, you say this takes place, you know, before the events of uh, Empire Strikes Back. I feel like it's taking place concurrently because um, I think that uh, this would have to, you know, have to happen. After Luke's encounter with the with the Wampa, wouldn't it? Does that mean that's no, the same no. Wampa? I don't think so because they were fully aware that there were creatures out there. Um, yeah, Leia says fact, they couldn't be one of those creatures. Yeah, yeah, so so they were aware of that. Can't be the same perhaps, Wampa because the that Wampa uh, is has only has one arm. Perhaps is yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't couldn't clutch clutch Chewbacca. But you know what? This could be happening concurrently with the events of Empire Strikes Back. Maybe this is what was happening when Luke and Han were out there setting up the markers or whatever they were doing. You know, um, well, while they were out on patrol, total adventure ensued at uh, at the Hoth base there at Echo Base. So. Um, you know, I'm glad we talked about this because I'm walking away from this conversation with less of a bad taste in my mouth about Beasts of Echo Base. See, now because... I have more. <laughs> I have the worst taste in my mouth because now I think, like, like what, a, what a coward Chewie is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look at the way he look at the way he defends Leia on Cloud City and defends Han. He's going to take on every stormtrooper there. He's willing to face down a blaster bolt to to defend Han, and then it, what, what snaps him back to reality is Han saying, no, you've got to be strong. You've got to be there for the princess. You have to take care of her. And this Chewie, yeah, this Chewie's just all over the place. But who knows what happened between Chewie and Wampa before Leia showed up. So he could be very traumatized. I don't know. But the Wampa is like kind of holding him like, like you know, like it's, she found a new pet. That's Yeah. 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 Let's let's yeah. just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to hear any squeal like a pig jokes. We, we meet uh, in the next episode. We've got the imposter inside. We've got Ahsoka and Padme, and they're taking on a uh, another shape shifting bounty hunter. No, not uh, not the same changeling as we met in episode two. Oh, you forgot her name, didn't you? Zam did. Wessel. Zam Wessel. Oh, thank I wanted you. him. To, I wanted those, Jason. You wanted me to tap dance around it. It would have. I come wanted to you me. to swing in the wind for just a minute or two. Darn it! Sorry. That was <laughs> another. I got to tell you, that was another one where I was so proud of of my daughter because as soon as the face changed, yeah, Bailey goes, oh, "She's a changeling." I'm like, oh, "You are mine. <laughs> really, are mine." Um, I could translate into the uh, Trek too, I think, <laughs> as well as the wars. Yeah, a, a change like so. Um, this was cool. I, again, Cat Tabor, you know, playing Padme. Love hearing these voices. Um, again, my daughter, she's she goes, oh, that's the voice of Lori from Loud House, which Cat no. Tabor does do oh, uh, a couple of characters on on Loud, wow. which is a great show, by the way, really great mm-hmm. show. Um, but yeah, she does that. So she was uh, she was thrilled to hear that. But um, this one was fun. You know, it actually speaking of nostalgia, it was it was nostalgic for one of those episodes of the Clone Wars that kind of would really tick me off. Yeah, like here they are, like planning a party. You know, kind of like the, the infamous cake topper 
that tootie someone, fruit or whatever that was. Yeah, yeah. Someone very keenly said online, and I'm sorry I can't attribute the quote, but I just remember it off the top of my head. Someone said, geez, can't they find something better for Padme to do than plan a dinner? <laughs> you know, can't they? Still, they can't find something cooler for Padme to do. <laughs> oh, poor Padme. I was Padme. like, yeah, it's kind of true. Poor Padme. But what is cool is the prequel era is getting some love here. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all agree that since the Disney acquisition of Lucasfilm, the prequel era has been put on the back burner. And I think this is the first time, guys, we're really seeing the prequel era get some love in the Disney era. I think it's happening right here. I'm glad because Padme, out of all of the women, and as amazing as Ahsoka is, Padme is still my girl. And so seeing this other than the party thing, which I honestly hadn't really thought about until you said that, but I was just so pumped to see her and in the outfit and everything. And she like sideways kicks a table and stuff. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Padme, Padme uh, open up the can. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I thought the outfit choice was interesting, too, because, you know, we see the, uh, you know, the, the, the white. Um, there was no there was no tearing of it. Got to see it in its full in its full glory. <laughs> It was, like it was like right out of the new. box. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. It's right it was off new. the hanger. It was brand new. Um, and I always thought that the dynamic between and there were a couple of episodes where you get to see that uh, the relationship between Ahsoka and Padme. I always found that to be potentially complex and very interesting, very compelling. I so. Um, not that there is a competition there, but I would always th- I, I would always kind of get this vibe that uh, Ahsoka was very judgy of Padme, and Ooh. a little yeah, yeah, a little bit. I get it. Maybe not jealous because I don't think that I don't think that uh, Ahsoka ever had kind of a romantic romantic feelings for Anakin. But but I no. But uh, but I think that she didn't necessarily agree with him living that that lie and i think she's one See, of the few that knew that was going on yes and that's what i was gonna say is we're never told so we just kind of always have to assume whether or not ahsoka knows what's actually going on and i like to think that she has an inkling and like she thinks she knows but she doesn't 100 percent know and so some of that attitude that she sort of has there is because she's like i think i know what's going on but I don't 100% know, so I'm a little bit, you know, kind of questioning who you are and if you really should be around, but at the same time, I really like you. Mm-hmm. And so there's that line that she has in this one. This is my favorite one, by the way. So yeah. the line that she has that she says, sometimes you remind me of Anakin. And I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that, too. That was a, that was a great moment. Um, and, I mean, clearly... Uh, I think that Ahsoka, I, I mean, on the surface, I don't think that Anakin and, Ob- and Anakin and Padme try to hide the fact that there's a friendship there, um, that no. there's, you know, uh, but, you know, how deep it goes, et cetera. Et cetera. I mean, obviously, they're around each other a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I enjoyed this one as well. Um, it, it, it did. <laughs> it did have that um, a 70s, 80s uh, cartoon ending. Where they kind of end on a little joke, 
Yeah. Like, I'm going to mm-hmm. eat all this food. I'm going to leave this food yeah. to waste. <laughs> you know what's what's weird about this is that the alien delegates would have been offended by some dinner silverware. I mean, what... <laughs> I mean, now we're getting real cutting edge here with our storytelling. But, I mean, you know what was even more weird was Padme was serving pasta that night. So I was like. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You think they're offended by the silverware? Wait till they see the main court. All right. Finally, it wraps up the the first eight episodes with uh, Bounty of Trouble. Oh, we're skipping one there, tough guy. Did I skip one? Oh, oh, yeah, I'm big so one. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. The Stranger. Jen Urso. Now, Bailey was probably more excited to see Jen than she was any other character. She really likes Jen. Um, so she was pumped to see Jen, and she loved that it was actually her, her you know, the real voice uh, of the actress. And so what threw me here is, uh, was this on Luthal? Because there is a no. love cat here. This is on Garel, which this is, is in the Lothal. It's on the Lothal system. Okay, hence the Loth cat. Mm-hmm. And there's a little, um, a little character that reminds me a lot of um, of Seven, for, or Eleven rather, from Stranger Things. <laughs> oh, the girl who has the Seven Eleven. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Seven Eleven. Yes. Yesterday it's not a was a good night free... for names for me tonight, folks. Uh, Yesterday but... was free Slurpee Day, so I know where what? your head is. Oh, did you take a bucket? No, but no. no, I. But you had a brain freeze there, Pally. Yeah, <laughs> I sure did. So I, I thought it was a little homage to Eleven from Stranger Things, and it was also the episode is called The Stranger. But oh, I could be reading into it. I could be good. reading into it. But um, so yeah, my daughter, her two favorite things uh, in the world are, um, well, her fav- most favorite thing in the world is are cats, kitties. So she loved it. Between Jin and, and, and a cat, a stray cat that she was trying to rescue, um, she was over the moon about this one. Um, Those jerky stormtroopers took the cat from her, and she fell on the floor and then started bleeding out of one nostril. Yeah, it's so rude. It's horrible. And especially with- Guys, you, you missed my, my Stranger Things. Oh, oh it was. <gasps> oh, oh. One nostril. I got it. I got it. There was no blood in this episode. Sure there was. For the record. No, there wasn't. No, but David Acord did the voice of the Stormtroopers in, in, in both ah! the last two episodes, I believe. Ah, I was wondering The only that... Stormtrooper voice is, is, is David Acord. I'm, I'm 99.9% sure that was David. Oh. You, now, I haven't seen any credits for this. Yeah, uh, they didn't scene. do credits. I don't like, think I know, I, I know that Vanessa was one of the Ewoks. No kidding. Uh-huh. She does so many great alien voices. I was blown away by her performance in Smugglers at uh, Celebration. The way she was pulling out those alien voices and stuff, she was amazing. Yeah, she's fantastic. She's fantastic. Um, I, the stranger, the little, well, the little girl, uh, the little 11 girl was, I think, voiced by Ashley Eckstein, from what I could tell. But, you know, guys, one of the things, it just made me think of this. Uh, one of the reasons why these could have been shorts not that that wasn't what they wanted to do, but I think that also allowed some of the actors to do the voice work because I think anything over a certain number of minutes, then they have to uh, be in the in the uh, union, and uh, then we get a whole B.J. Hughes thing going on, and, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? But uh, so that's one of the reasons why they may have kept them short or one of the reasons why they were able to get the originals back in because they were short and it didn't cause any 
legal issues. But this was fun. I mean, this was just Jen kicking some butt. Um, like we mentioned at the top uh, of the rundown here, uh, it certainly shows you, um, distills down, I think, Jen's personality here. Uh, Jen is definitely a you know somebody that, that is going to fight for the underdog. And so we see that obviously manifest itself in a big, big way with Rogue One. But here she is defending this child and this mm-hmm. uh, animal that are being picked on by these stormtroopers. So very, very true to her character and uh, definitely an ass kicker. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And that's the coolest thing about this episode is watching Jen Erso kick it. But, but, um, and obviously, it doesn't take in any sort of uh, uh, canon uh, brainiac to realize that this happens on the timeline prior to the events of Rogue One. <laughs> okay, because uh, there are no adventures for Jen or so following the events of Rogue spoiler One. Alert, um, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! <laughs> spoiler. But um, but uh, it does it does foreshadow then her compassion, especially you know when she rescues that child when uh, the you know what hits oh, yeah. the fan. In Jetta City, she, she oh, scoops, yeah. scoops up that child. So she's always looking out for kids, which you got to love about her. And uh, what I thought thought was weird about this episode, okay, is we're dealing with a period in the timeline when she's off the grid, she's living underground, and uh, nobody knows where she is. So the fact that she revealed her full real name and not one of her aliases like Leanna Halleck kind of surprised me. I thought for sure she was going to say Leanna Halleck at that moment. But, well, uh, nope, think about Jenner. the audience so, there. That would have really confused the kids. Yeah, They'd be like, who I the get hell it. is that? I get it. I totally get it. Again, fanboy nitpicking going on here. Um, well, well, I, I'm there with you, though, because I actually brought this up. Um, shameless plug time. Uh, we just interviewed Jennifer M- Murrow for Fangirls Going Broke. So that's coming out soon. Cool. And Excellent. I asked her about this because it was bothering me. Mm. <laughs> and I had read Rebel Rising and she has all these other aliases in Rebel Rising. And so I asked her why they made that choice. And there was she kind of skirted around it, but enough to say that similar to what you just said, Jason, about not confusing the younger audience, but also that in this moment she feels safe. And there's no one else around. Literally, it's abandoned. And I think she feels like in that moment, she can be honest with who she is with this little girl. And so. I like there's... that. I like that. So when can we look forward to hearing this interview? Well, I think I think as of the moment we're recording this, it is finally edited down. And I think it's probably coming out tomorrow. Oh, great. So uh, by the time this podcast drops, uh, yes, you'll you guys be, able be to looking for Fangirls Going Rogue with Jennifer Murrow, who I'm a big fan of. I think she's a real up-and-coming talent, and uh, I, I don't think that's – I don't think Forces of Destiny is the last we're going to be hearing from her. No, I don't think so either. In a weird way, I think this was sort of her audition for possibly further Star Wars animation projects cool. moving forward. Fingers crossed. Because I really like what she did, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was, I mean, I think in a lot of ways it was, it, it's, it's a very ambitious project. Um, sure, the animation was, uh, I, you know, at no point, truly, did I ever sit there and uh, feel, you know, critical or let down or disappointed by the animation. 
I love a 2D animation. I loved the Gendy series, um, which was much... I, there's some comparison, I think, between this and the way the Gendy series was, was, was animated. But, the, but, but you know, Gendy Tartakovsky has a very, very stylized... He's, he, he's kind of like a Tim Burton of animation where it's like every Gendy series just has that stamp. You just know that, that look. Um, this was a little bit more subdued, yet still stylized and I, I i just am such a fan of i've i love the look of the gendy series i love the look of clone wars i love the look of rebels how each series um sort of handles uh the design of the characters um jim i wanted to go back real quick about chewbacca outside of clone wars chewie has never looked right in animation that is one thing that i don't think they've ever really i mean he he looked um the wookies looked real bizarre in rebels even this Yoda is true. looks pretty, pretty rough in Rebels. Yes, yes. Um, but this is just such a drastic departure from how we typically have seen Chewie. I just can't get over the hands. The, the hands, I yeah, the I clawed, I like, big I clawed, black hands. Yeah. Think about how many times in the films you actually see Chewbacca's fingers. It's very rare. Yeah. And whenever we do see him, like in a photo and stuff, where you could clearly see it, I think. That's kind of like weird. So I don't want to see Chewie's hands, especially like that. Yeah. Where they just, you know, well, he doesn't have claws. He does have claws. He does. No, he doesn't. Oh no, not in the movie. Not of in the movie. Not. Yeah, yeah. No, in the yeah. No, he's like you know Dracula kind of creepy Nosferatu <laughs> claws. Going no, on there, you just don't that. even really see his hands. They're they're covered in fur. Right. Right. And, well, I uh, imagine he's got more like paws. You know, yes, pads like like pads on his yeah. hand. Yeah, Aww. like a cat. You think he lets you touch him. Is he like probably not? Are they ticklish. Okay. All right. Maybe once you get to know him. <laughs> 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 All right. So we wrap things up here. Uh, Forces of Destiny with Bounty of Trouble. And uh, we see uh, Princess Leia and uh, Sabine. They come under attack by IG-88. There's a secret mission, and there's some sort of uh, kind of phony capture going on where Sabine is um, pretending to kidnap Leia Organa as she's being guarded by the the stormtroopers. Also that Leia can give Sabine a data tape, which looks just like the data tape that we see at the beginning of, uh, or at the end of, Rogue One, Thank you. right? But it, it contains it contains uh, totally different information. It, it's it's a database of where all the Imperial bases are lo- located throughout the galaxy. Yes. So it mm-hmm. gives them some solid places to attack and um, and try to, uh, to try to uh, make the Empire uh, feeble. And and so they so that's how they know where to go when it comes down to. Uh, no, actually, they, they forget it. I, I'm, I'm going off into somewhere I shouldn't be going. But let's talk about what's cool about this episode. I think it's cool that it connects Rebels with the original trilogy. I love seeing Leia and Sabine work together. I think it's cool seeing Leia before she was considered a threat to the Empire. She's an Imperial senator at this point in time. She's working on the inside. So she's actually being protected by those stormtroopers. They are there to escort her. She is like, that's like the royal escort for her. But I love and the way that I love the way they frame it though. At the beginning, you don't know. I mean, I think you're sitting there watching and thinking, "Oh, this takes place right after she's captured." Right. 
Right. And and so that's why it's it's it, it, it this is actually I think the episode that really has the most meat to it, you know. Um it 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 shows Leia while she's still an imperial senator. Mm-hmm. That's why Vader calls her a traitor at the beginning of a new hope is because she was part of the system. And uh you know, I you think about nothing except evil Sith lords and oppressive military forces making up the the evil galactic empire, but there were actually real people working within the system still the, the remnants of the old Republic, essentially um, it's cool to see IG 88 in some action, despite the fact that he moves around like, like a robot from the eighties arcade game. Uh, <laughs> Berserk. Remember Berserk in the way those robots would run around. Yeah. He, he, he moves very slowly and, and doesn't look too intimidating. And what I think it's weird is we're actually left hanging. Does IG-88 survive? Is he reprogrammed for future use by the Empire? When Vader has that gathering of, of bounty droid, uh, bounty hunters, we, we assume that they just came in from all points in the galaxy. But what if they just open up a closet and IG-88 walked out? <laughs> You're saying IG-88 came out of the closet and Empire Strikes Back? Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so. Well, it's 2017 uh, now. <laughs> so so yeah i was wondering well maybe they reprogrammed him or something and then we see him again in um because it didn't look like he was going to get out of there in one piece for sure yeah and uh you know with the paint on him and one <laughs> yeah yeah you know one of the things i really loved about this episode though is when we see leia and sabine in rebels they don't have a whole lot of dialogue there's not not a whole lot that happens there so they get more dialogue together here and it almost, I like to pretend that this one takes place before that. So they've already met, they know each other. Mm-hmm. And so when they see each other in that episode, it kind of makes sense that they don't have this big, like a moment. Mm-hmm. That, so yeah. I, that's how I rationalize it in my head. Yeah, <laughs> it, you know, it works. I like it. I like it. Um, I, the, I thought that this episode, I agree, Jim, this had, the, you know, probably the most meat just probably because it's it's the most fresh at this point because we're coming off of rebels and as teresa alluded to you know we've we've seen these two before interacting with each other and um so i think they really ended on a high note so teresa you interviewed the the showrunner for this um it's jennifer is jennifer Murrow? Yes, Jennifer, Jennifer Murrow. Jennifer Murrow. So we've got how many more episodes coming up, and, and when are we going to see these? So there's going to be eight more, and there will be sometime in October. No dates or anything yet. We know the information I said earlier from the Entertainment Weekly article that was released during Celebration about Forces of Destiny. That was one of the ones that they talked about, the Ewoks with Hera, Leia, and Han. And... So everybody assumed it was going to be in this batch, but it's not. So it, that's going to be in the next batch coming up. So we've got that to look forward to, plus obviously seven others. But until then, what we really need to look forward to is August for the Adventure Toys. Mm. <laughs> like, I need all of them. You need all of ah. them. Yeah. There's a great look for these these figures. And uh I was uh, spending some time with uh, my old buddy Pete recently over the Fourth of July holiday, and he was talking about how uh, much his uh, his daughters really enjoy the uh, the DC uh, 
the the dolls for the the DC yeah heroes. DC superhero girls superhero mm-hmm. girls exactly exactly and so uh, they have invaded the Barbie mansion uh, <laughs> there at the, at, the, at the natal house so the DC superhero girls have moved into Barbie mansion I like to think that it's sort of like a reality show so you would have Barbie like dishing <laughs> on you know what a pain in the ass Harley Quinn is. And, uh, you know, and Harley Quinn's always pulling jokes on uh, Skipper or whatever. I, 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 I'm lost. Barbie's on mad. Barbie's mad because Wonder Woman's stealing Ken. <laughs> right. Ah. Right. Uh-huh. And, and, it's and like, Ken is it's played like by Big Chris Brother. Pine. Yeah. Like Super Big, Brother. Big Brother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's okay. what's going on there. Um, but uh, so this is, I think, obviously a, sort of an extension of that. Uh, with these figures, but um, again, I just I love the unique design of this this series. I think that the that the figures certainly uh, uh, inhabit that. And now, Jim, I remember after Celebration, you were talking about the just the 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 abomination of that Chewbacca figure. Uh, now you know where it was inspired <laughs> by that, that. You remember it was in that glass well, case with uh, with, with yeah. Leia. The Hasbro booth. I mean, it was the, the stuff. Of the nightmares. figure looks even worse. The figure yeah, looks even. Worse. But I'll tell you what. I I, I am uh, quite enamored with the uh, Leia Wicket two pack, yeah. and uh, and that might be hard to turn down. But I, what, what I, I know. Th- I know what your Christmas present is going to be, Jim. A box uh, <laughs> full of Chewbacca's. I get cases of them probably yeah. now, but <laughs> but I think it's great that if if this series is designed to sell the the dolls, I think it's cool because. It, it's keeping Star Wars collecting alive and vibrant with younger generation, with with uh, especially with young female fans coming into the fold. I like to see anything that promotes Star Wars collecting. So hopefully we'll be able to find these things on the shelves. Yeah, and, that's going uh, you know, to be the trick. Not have to pay uh, e- eBay dollars to, to get them all the time. But uh, I think they will. I think they'll be out there. I, I think there will be a, a big uh, marketing push on these things, and uh, hopefully uh, they'll sell well so uh, they can make more. Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm excited for them, for the dolls, but I'm also excited for the adventure uh, toys that are, like, role-playing. So there's going to be, like, a, a Ray staff and, you know, other pieces so that you can buy them and then, you know, act out these little two-minute shorts and stuff. Right. So the that'll be really stuff, cool. Right? Yeah. 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 That's coming out. Um, and, the, you know, the packaging, I mean, look, it's it's clear this is this is being marketed towards uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the female uh, demographic. But once you take it out of the package, it's still just it's a Ray staff or it's a lightsaber or it's whatever. But, um, you know, you're going down the toy aisles. They've got look, I'm in marketing. You know, they. Uh, they pay people to say, you know what, little girls love purple. Little girls love this this particular shade of pink or whatever. But you know, at this the heart of it, ombre, ombre orange to purple, yeah. which we do love. I'm not going to lie. We do. <laughs> I gotta. I'll take note of that. Hey. Just, I'm going to be honest. The logo very appealing to me. Yeah. I want a shirt that's all like forces of destiny. I like the. I like the color. Uh, the, the, yeah, I like the colors a lot myself, actually. Um, well, the only thing I need to lure me in is that Star Wars logo, and I'm there. So, uh, you know, it's it's cool. Um, however they market it, it's still Star Wars, and I think that's the most important thing. And that it's also providing a gateway for younger fans to get involved in Star Wars. And I that's, think that's important. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, look, the, the, the fact is, 
you know, I grew up in a family of uh, mostly uh, of girl cousins, and they were the biggest Star Wars fans that I knew. And there wasn't anything that was out outwardly. Uh, there was no outreach towards uh, girls saying, you, you know, you, you should like this. They 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 found it. It was organic. And in the same way, I like to think that there's going to be little boys that are going to discover, um, you know, forces of destiny. And it's just going to be it's just another Star Wars story. And it's not necessarily a girl thing, a boy thing. It's just Star Wars. And so right. um, but you know what? Before we let you go, Teresa. I did want to. I did want to bring this up. I don't know if you remember the Where's Ray campaign. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. <laughs> Where's Ray? Where's Ray? Where's Hera? Where's yeah everybody? And, right. So this is this is going back in uh, January 2016. Uh, you know, here we all are. We're enjoying the Force Awakens, and but people are saying, look, there's not a whole. Given the fact that the the, the movie really focuses on her centers around her there's there's not a lot of ray merchandise now i don't i there were, she was conspicuous by her absence in certain areas i wouldn't say that there was a lack of ray merch but where there was a lack of ray was really weird and didn't make any sense and one of the things was the monopoly game right yeah, remember oh the my monopoly gosh. so yeah. they did a force awakens monopoly hasbro and uh, there was no Ray, which just is bizarre. It's as bizarre as Hasbro yet having to make a Force Awakens Luke Skywalker action figure, which yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll never understand that. Um, but, you know, leave it to Hasbro. So here they, here they, they came out and they said, look, we didn't want to spoil the movie. So that's oh, why we left Ray. Out. Blah, blah, blah. As if Ray yeah. was this big kept secret. I oh mean, my we, gosh, we didn't, we didn't ever see her, ever. Yeah, so right. Just don't put a lightsaber in her hand, does yeah. Exactly. yeah, that's some kind of corporate tap dancing going on there, because obviously Ray was featured in all of the promotional material and the trailers for the film. And the poster. And I mean, <laughs> We sure. knew what we were getting into as far as Ray's involvement in the film. We knew she was going to be a big player, and it certainly, she certainly was. So that's just a bunch of corporate smoke. Well, here's some more corporate smoke. Uh, they did promise that they would do an updated version of the game and that they would include a Ray token, right? Um, and uh, guess what? Fast forward, here we are 18 months later. No, there's no not. Ray. No, Ray. No, <laughs> there's not one. No updated Monopoly. Now, that could be... That could be attributed to, you know, poor sales or whatever. But I'm not buying it. I mean, you can't swing a dead cat, loth cat. Let's say that. You can't swing a dead loth cat without hitting a brand new version of Monopoly. They come out all the time. And so you would think that they could have, you know, found a way or do a mail away or do some sort of promotion. You know, you pay two bucks and you get your Ray token. They could have really turned it into a fun little uh, a contest. But uh, I think they were kind of hoping people would forget about it, honestly. <laughs> or, or maybe let's let's play devil's advocate. Maybe when they said that, what they really meant was that a new version would come out with episode eight. You know what? You 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 could be right. You could be right because they said. I mean, their their line was, it would. Uh, let's see. They promptly assured Star Wars fans that it would be releasing an updated edition of the game. With a Ray token at some point in the future. 
Yeah, there you go. There, it's there the at go. some point in the future. You should work by, in PR. By episode nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be sold with a uh, three and three quarter inch Jedi Luke, uh, you know, Force Awakens Luke figure that we're still waiting for. Well, there you go. So uh, wrap up to the Where's Ray campaign. We're still looking for Ray as far as Monopoly is concerned. Um, but you know what? I think there's a there's a couple of little rays that you can get. There's some gumball machine ray uh, figures that uh, released. I think they were released. Uh, no, no, no. You know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of the little blind bags that they have at the Disney parks. I love those. The little characters. Yeah, they have you know those. I'm talking about right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, here's the thing. Here's the thing with Where's Right. Granted, she was missing from a lot of places, but not necessarily due to the fact that they didn't produce her. It's due to what all collectors complain about, which is distribution and actually getting them out into the stores for people to buy. That was the true problem. That's why we couldn't find her. It's not necessarily they didn't make her. It's just she was the one out of the entire case, and she was gone. We did see her more at the Disney store, though, with their Elite series and all of that stuff. You know, she was more prominent there than, say, at Target. Yeah, and the other thing, too, when you think about the the Black series, um, you know, the six-inch figures, is that I I think they were um, kind of holding off and produced – you know, maybe slightly fewer of that first edition because they wanted to repackage her with the dirty BB-8. And I mean, like, you know, real dirt, not like dirty BB-8, but dirty, <laughs> a, 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 a dirty BB-8 and a lightsaber. Um, so yeah. that, 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 came, that came out later. Um, and uh, but, you know, there, there's certainly I don't think uh, much of a shortage. Now, I remember as a kid, I was really into the A-team and they had a line of A-team action figures and uh, Teresa, I know you're too young to remember. No, but, I, I know the A-team, well, you know but the not A-team, necessarily right. the toys. Right. Yeah. But but Jim, do you remember Amy? There was a there was a girl character, Amy. She popped up every once in a while. I think she was sort of dating the face man. Yeah. Was she like um she's like in media or something? Was yeah. she like a newspaper like a reporter? reporter? Yeah, she was like the yeah. April O'Neil yeah. of uh of the A-team. Yes. yes. But but they made Amy, this figure of Amy. And I wanted the whole team. I wanted the whole A team. And she was so hard to find because they didn't make very many of her. They assumed, you know, these are for little boys. They're not going to want to play with a girl figure. But I did. I wanted Amy because I, yeah. I wanted to assemble the whole team. And I, and I think that, you know, there could be something to that where um, and, and maybe they've learned from this because Jin is everywhere. I'm telling you. Yeah. Jin's uh, everywhere. But I think they were still maybe even at the time of, uh, of uh, episode seven. The, the manufacturers were still suffering from this idea. Well, we have a boy's toy line, and they don't want to play with a girl doll, so we're going to do fewer of these. But, you know, little did they know, and they found out very shortly that Ray was just embraced as a hero, a figure, uh, you know, an, a true action figure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, it's, it's, the, it's the symptom of when you're a kid and somebody pulls out the shoots and ladders game, right? You're always going to pick the boy token, or if you're a girl, you're going to most likely pick the girl token. But, I mean, that's so basic, right? Yeah. When it comes to something like Star Wars and, and playing Ray on a Monopoly board, I don't think any boy, I certainly, I, I wouldn't think twice about grabbing the Ray, the, the right. Ray right. token, you know? Right. Because, just like I would, I would grab Kylo Ren sometimes. Just depends on what mood I'm in. <laughs> 
All right, if you're next time you're playing Star Wars Monopoly with Teresa, <laughs> you're going to know what kind of mood she's in based on the token. Am I going likes. to completely annihilate you, or <laughs> uh, maybe I might take my time? Uh, well, this has been tons of fun. Uh, Teresa, really appreciate you being on the program tonight. Um, this, has been, this has been great. I hope you don't be a stranger and you'll come on and hang out with us some more. I'd love to. I love talking to you guys. It's always so much fun and it's a blast because it's it's a totally different vibe for me than on some of my other shows and I get to be a little bit of a different version of me, which I love. (laughs) Well, we love all versions of you, so uh, (laughs) you're welcome anytime. Any of your personalities, for sure. But uh, no, this was great, especially having you uh, help us break down Forces of Destiny. We've got more episodes coming up to look forward to. And uh, that'll be a good excuse for us to uh, get you back on. Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime. So give our um, best to the fangirls, too, by the way. I will. I'll give them I'll let them all know that you guys say hi. So, uh, Teresa, if um, folks would like to uh, follow you online and you're involved in so many things, where's where's a couple of uh, quick stops they can go to kind of get the whole Teresa Delgado well, honestly, the best place is just to follow at Ice Cold Penguin on Twitter and Instagram because I post everything on their new episodes, stuff like that. So that's where you'll get all of it. Uh, if you do want to follow any of the shows directly, you can follow Fangirls Going Rogue. Probably your best bet is go on Facebook because we have a really awesome Facebook group over there and you'll get everything you need. But if just want to follow me, Ice Cold Penguin, Twitter, Instagram. It's Star Wars Disney My Little Pony all the time over there. <laughs> My Little Pony. I, I got to say this. You know, you know what, what I've been doing, Teresa, for the last like three Ooh, weeks? Have you been watching it? Because I've restarted it from the first episode of the first season. I wish I could say I've just been watching it. But oh, no. um, my daughter is really into customizing her My Little Pony figures. <gasps> Ooh. So we've been watching a lot of YouTube videos, and there's this one girl who is, like, amazing at customizing these things with clay and ripping the hair out. So I've been, I've been popping heads off ponies, pulling the hair out from the roots <laughs> right through the neck, and then pulling the, 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 the tail out through the body cavity, reattaching the head, uh, acetoning off all of the, you know, the cutie marks and the eyes and repainting these things. I'll have to send you some photos of the ponies that we... <laughs> That we yes, have. please do. Oh my gosh, that's so that amazing. Customized. So um, that's awesome. Tell your daughter I said she's a superstar, and I <laughs> and I I love ponies. And if she ever just wants to sit and talk about ponies, I'm game. Oh, she's, all day long. She would do it. She would do it. So yeah, I'll send you those photos. Uh, but uh, anyway, all right. Thanks so much, Teresa Delgado. We will uh, catch up with you soon. I'm sure. Sounds good. Bye, guys. All right. Take care. Bye. (laughs) Rebel Force Radio. The Force is strong in this one. Your source for the Force. Newsflash. Swank's a brony. Woo! (laughs) Swank's a brony. Swank's a brony. Swank's a brony. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I've never watched the show, really. Um, But I sure watch a lot of YouTube videos of of these people making these custom ponies. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, so Bailey sculpts them, and then I paint them. That's great. I mean, really, it's it's really fantastic, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, seriously, I, I have an artistic streak in me, and I certainly yeah. have customized, like, over 100 action figures, Star Wars action figures in the day. 
in my day. So Teresa uh, was fun. Teresa was a lot of fun. She was a blast. She was an absolute blast. So it was great to get caught up with her, no question about it. Rebel Force Radio. Star Wars! Nothing but Star Wars! Your source for the Force. You know it, you love it. From Tops comes the digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. Yes, collect and trade officially licensed Star Wars digital cards. All of your favorite characters, vehicles, and locations from the Star Wars universe are here, including replicas of those amazing and iconic original 1977 Top Star Wars trading cards to futuristic all-new cards with exciting digital twists. Download it today in the App Store or in Google Play. And of course, we're using the Star Wars card trader app here at rebel force radio you can always trade with us here 24 7 365 days a year just search username rebel force radio and do it all from the comfort of your mobile device it's the tops star wars card trader app these are the cards you're looking for all right before we say goodbye this week let's check in with your voicemails you must contact me play back the entire message what message Message, Doctor. The message. The Emperor commands you to make contact with him. It's a trick. Send no reply. Hey, Jason. Hey, Jim. This is Carlos calling from Mexico. Um, I'll just give you a call and, and to give my opinion on a couple of things I noticed on Forces of Destiny. This has been the week that it's been out, right? And it's overall good you know i like the animation it's, it's simplistic and everything but i have i have one really big problem with this show and if it can be called a show right uh, the duration is roughly three minutes each episode it's just an, it's anakin in the ahsoka episode now ever since rebels they kind of changed what Anakin looks like, right? If I'm looking at Anakin from the Clone Wars, he pretty much looks just like Aiden Christensen. Even the Gendy Anakin has the overall, you know, features of Hayden Christensen. And once I'm looking at the Rebels Anakin, his eyes look kind of more almond-shaped than rectangular. I look at Aiden, his eyes are generally rectangular. He's kind of doing the Clint Eastwood squint, Right? Now, when I look at this new Anakin on Forces of Destiny, his eyes are completely almond-shaped and big. Maybe that's the animation style. To me, all the female characters look like their respective actors. But Anakin doesn't really look like Hayden Christensen in the sense that it's, it's just facial expression. But there's one big thing, and it's that Anakin is missing his scar. I'm going to go ahead and send you guys a, a picture through Facebook so you can look at this. He just doesn't have the scar. So every day, every time I look at interpretations of what Anakin looks like, he's looking further and further away from what Hayden Christensen looks like. Now, I have to be honest, the hair and the, the facial shape are there. But the, the lips and the eyes and the eyebrow shape, I mean, they're losing the characteristics of Hayden Christensen here. So take a look at that. Tell me what you guys think. I mean, I think it's a valid point. Look, looks to me like they're trying to get Anakin to look as different from Hayden as possible. Um, let me know. I'm going to send you guys a picture through through the Facebook, and uh, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong. You know, but uh, that's what it seems like to me. Thanks. I know I've seen 
Oh, I just I just pulled it up from Carlos. Uh-huh. He, oh, uh, he, he sent did it post to us. It? He, okay. Well, it, he sent it to us on Facebook. I don't know if he posted it. Something tells me he did. Um, but uh, he, he does give us close-ups of episode three, Anakin, with that scar. And then you see it in the Gendy Tartakovsky micro-series. You see it clearly pronounced on the Clone Wars series. But then in Star Wars Rebels, we get introduced to an Anakin. And boy, that, this really doesn't look like Hayden Christian at all. Christensen at all, the Anakin that's portrayed in uh, Rebels via hologram. Hologram. So there he is. And uh, yes, uh, Carlos has put a graphic there. No scar. Oh, he says no scar question. Wait, 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 he, where are you seeing this? This is um, on our here, here. Let me just download the photo and then I'll, I, I can send it to you, I think. Or. Uh, uh, oh, this was on Facebook. It's technology, Jim. Well, no, he sent it to us in our inbox. So if you log on to Rebel Force Radio's Facebook page, uh, you should be able to access the inbox. Oh, here we go. And there you'll see it. And so, yeah, he gives us this visual gallery. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. All right, I see it. Okay, very nice. With Star Wars Rebels, he says no scar, question mark, because we are looking more from the left side of Anakin's face in that. And so we don't have a clear shot at the right side where he has that scar. You know, it's a it's a good it's a good point. Um, I, I I was not thrilled of the way that Anakin was portrayed in Rebels. Um, I didn't really like the model. Uh, I didn't like you know we talked about the Chewie model, not a, or the the Wookie model. Not a fan. Definitely not a fan of the Yoda model. Um, really, uh, what, what, what is what is what does Paul Paul say? Off model. He says this is a really off model. Um, and. Uh, in terms of forces of destiny, Anakin did stick out to me as being one where I think they really, really missed the mark. I liked Yoda. I actually thought that Yoda looked kind of like um, creepy, scary Yoda in Empire when he talked about you will be. Yeah, that, that is yeah. creepy, scary Yoda. Isn't yeah, it? that's. I thought that's what this Yoda in forces of destiny looked a lot like. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely with Carlos, um, did, did not care for, uh, this, this Anakin, um, and clearly no scar, clearly, clearly no scar. no scar, but when you think about the aesthetics, you know, and the, the look and, and, and tone of this show, which is definitely a lot more, uh, well, it's simple, obviously, but it's also, it, you know, seems very clean uh i don't think the scar would have uh I, I think that they probably look these are people that didn't forget about the scar right they probably put the scar on and it just looked odd it looked odd with this the, the, with this version now lately i think lucasfilm has no respect for facial scars anymore <laughs> they moved the facial scar from kylo ren's center of his nose over more to the side what are we gonna do here man i'm i'm gonna send a note to leland chi he'll get to the bottom of this dear leland no uh, <laughs> let's go let's go to another voicemail hey jason and jimmy this is joel powie calling from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, I just watched episode two of When the Galaxy Listens web series, and I gotta say it struck a chord with me, uh, which the message of that episode really resonated. Um, I am a newly, I guess you can say newly graduated 
broadcasting graduate of Grand Valley State University here, uh, and I quickly realized that radio, uh, in the conventional sense, was not not where I wanted to be after a short year. Uh, I everything you said um, just is, is dead on. Uh, I spent a year and realized that uh, at iHeartMedia West Michigan and uh, yeah, it was not a not a great experience. I loved the people, but uh, their business model uh, was horrendous and was no place for free thinkers like a guy like me. Uh, I had the opportunity to, uh, during my time at school, I had did a couple independent studies, one of which I had the opportunity of speaking with a gentleman that Jimmy Mack might know, Kevin Matthews. Uh, <laughs> was a Chicago radio guy for a long while. Yes. Came over here to Grand Rapids at WLAV. Sure. I uh, was as good friends with uh, my college advisor, so I got to the opportunity to talk to him. And uh, he basically said the same thing in the interview I conducted with him about podcasting. He said, radio's dead and it's too bad it killed itself, his exact words. And I couldn't agree more. So I guess uh, where I'm, ag- I'm going with all this is... Uh, you know, what advice do you have for guys like me, uh, guys who obviously are passionate about, you know, Star Wars or whatever it is, and uh, just aren't finding their place out there in corporate mainstream uh, conventional radio? Obviously, I and so many others are very thankful for what you guys do every week. Um, you know, you bring a voice to that minority, uh, and I couldn't be more thankful. And I just, I, this web series is fantastic. And it's really, I think, going to open up a lot of people's eyes and maybe even people that don't listen to this show um, to, to what podcasting really is and what it's doing, you know, and uh, the lives it's touching. So thanks again. Uh, hopefully you can shed some light on this. And I will be listening to you guys and maybe talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. All right, Professor Mack. Wow. Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously, the name Kevin Matthews certainly means a lot to me. I uh, worked with Kevin Matthews twice in my career. At uh, one point, I was uh, really early on uh, when I first got into entertainment talk radio. I was an associate producer on his show. I was actually an intern on his show for a little while. And uh, then uh, about 12 years after that, I... um, I ended up becoming his executive producer uh, after, you know, going down <laughs> many other uh, roads in the meantime. And uh, so I know Kevin very well. And Kevin is very outspoken about where he thinks the future of radio is going. And he'll often say, radio is dead. And uh, I, I, that's not quite the message that I, I hope that's not the message we're sending out there with When the Galaxy Listens. Specifically, he's talking about episode two titled uh who really killed the radio star and it's uh the first part of a three-part uh um series um uh, a sub-series of when the galaxy listens i should say and uh all three uh episodes are currently available on the rebel force radio youtube channel and also you can find links at rebelforceradio.com but uh basically the the gist of that episode is we talk um about the emergence and the benefits of the podcast medium as a broadcast medium. And in the meantime, we also take note of 
certain pitfalls that the radio industry has found itself encountering over the past few decades. Um, gosh, I hope the message isn't we're saying radio's dead, but we certainly are saying that there are some great benefits and independence that you get from jumping into the podcast medium. And as long as you're passionate and as long as you understand that, um, that it, it is a new medium, so you have to grow with it, and you have to contribute and help the medium grow. And that's what I think we're doing with podcasting these days. Us and our friends, people like Teresa Delgado, you know, we're, we're jumping on board with this podcast medium wholeheartedly, and we are in control over the content we put out there. That's the biggest benefit. Um, I still have my roots in broadcast radio. I still work within the realm of broadcast radio, but I really feel that the future of talk entertainment is online within the realm of podcasting. But don't rule radio out ever, 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 because it has proved its resilience time and time again. People said radio was dead when the television was invented. People said radio was dead when, uh, when, when Sirius XM and satellite radio happened. And people certainly have been saying radio is dead when the Internet evolved into the, the monster it is now. But somehow radio has remained resilient and is still out there, and it is still a medium that 90% of Americans use on a daily basis. Do you believe it? I mean, you're, you're still surrounded by radio all the time. So I think that it's just the fact that the way the, the laws have changed and major massive corporations can take over huge volumes of radio stations across the country. And uh, there's no regulation on how many stations a certain company can own within the same city. Um, that, to me, is a little scary because it, it feels like we're losing the local uh, connection to radio. And I think that's the most important connection. So for a young broadcast student, I really suggest finding those small stations and working your way up and, and moving around and becoming part of the local scene when you're at those radio stations. I've worked at big major market radio stations. I've worked at small market radio stations. And I can tell you that the small market stations who have a strong local connection are always going to be there and they will always survive. Yeah, there's problems with the business model with, with radio nowadays. And the fact that that the, the, the person actually creating broadcasts and who are behind the mic and who are making the production and, and, and handling the operations of the actual radio station itself, unfortunately, there's a lack of respect there that I think that goes on when it comes to the paychecks. It seems like the money always gets funneled upward and doesn't come down to the people who are actually creating the radio. So I would like to see that change. And... Um, and, and But with the advertising dollar not stretching the way it traditionally has in the past, it's hard. It's hard. So um, I just think that there will always be radio. And I think there will always be opportunities for young broadcasters to get into radio and, uh, and, and develop great entertainment for people or um, a great service for people locally. That's where I think you'll find your strongest connection is local broadcast radio. All right, let's do uh, one more. Yeah, let's do one more. Maybe that's a little more Star Wars-y and not so much about my day job. 
<laughs> but great question, and, and certainly appreciate the fact that uh, uh, you're enjoying the uh, the documentary series, and that um, you know that it spoke to you, and I, uh, that 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 means a lot. That means a lot. Hey, Jason. Hey, Jimmy. This is Eric from Phoenix. Um, I just got done listening to your most recent Rebel Force Radio, where you had Kyle and JC on talking about the Han Solo news from last week. And as always, great episode. I love those guys' perspective. One of the things, though, when you guys talked that I don't remember you really getting into, and once again, this is all conjecture, this is all speculation, but what I'd like to get from you guys is why do you think Ron Howard took this job? Um, you guys clarified he's never worked with Kathy Kennedy before, Kathleen Kennedy before. Um, obviously, they probably know each other. Obviously, he worked with George. You guys talked about that. But one of the things, if you go back and watch the Willow DVD and listen to the commentary or some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, I don't remember where it, he does this, but he actually talks about making Willow and the fact that it was George's movie. And basically, the sense I got from listening to him in this interview or commentary, I cannot remember, was basically he would never do that again. And he wasn't slamming George, but what I got from it was he wanted to do his own movies, not make somebody else's movie and not be his. And that's kind of the way I perceived that Willow went for him. It was George's all around, and really he was operating totally inside what George wanted him to do without really that creative freedom. That's my interpretation of what he said. And my question is, isn't that what he's going to get on the Han Solo movie, especially one that had three weeks of principal photography left? Obviously, they have the reshoots. I, I was just really surprised that he took the job after, you know, listening to that commentary, hearing him make those comments. Because to me, yes, it's not George, but obviously he's going to be he's going to be in some sort of box as far as what he's able to do. And I'm not sure that he's operated that way since filming Willow. Anyway, love the show, guys. Be curious to get your take on that part. Um, have a great week. Looking forward to the episode on Friday. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Why would he do it? Why would he do it? Um, you know, I have to go back. I've got the uh, I've got the Willow DVD and the Willow Blu-ray. I'll go back and see if we can maybe pull some uh, quotes of him talking about uh, that. I, You know, Jim, based on... What um, we know Irvin Kirshner went through, what Richard Marquand went through, George as a producer, as a story writer. Um, yeah, I could see him believing that it was, you know, George's movie and that uh, his job as a director was to bring that vision to life. And uh, he was uh, just a, a, a cog in the big in the big machine. Um, but you know, that was 30 some years ago, right? That's been, it's been a long time. He was still a young and up and coming director at that point and had a lot of great stories to tell. And for that point in his career, I could imagine him saying, you know, this was, this was okay and all, but I want to do my own thing. Now he's approaching the September of his years and what director wouldn't want, I'm look, Star Wars is a franchise that has even tempted Steven Spielberg and you don't get much more accomplished as a, a filmmaker and storyteller than Steven Spielberg. Yet that lure of being part of the legend of Star Wars is still 
attractive. And so I don't think that it's any great surprise that Ron Howard would do it. I think that based on what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, everything from his his pedigree, his temperament, his history, all of that, I think, make him an ideal choice for this particular situation. And, you know, who doesn't love to feel needed? Who doesn't want to be the guy that can come in and save a production like a Star Wars movie? And I think that's what he's doing. And I'm not saying he's doing it out of ego, but who doesn't love to be Superman, right? Come in and, and save it? Right. Yes. And, and that might be the most attractive part to him about it is the fact that he's going to come in and be the fixer. And maybe that removes a lot of heavy lifting that he was a little nervous about getting into the Star Wars universe in the first place. You know, all the pre-production, all of the, all that stuff is is off the table now. The script is there. It's locked in. And he just needs to get it from point A to point B. And also keep in mind that George asked Ron to consider directing... The Phantom Menace, way back when. And Ron turned it down, perhaps for the same reasons that he was citing on that Willow uh, documentary. Um, But maybe he went through an internal struggle over that. Maybe he was kicking himself for not accepting the Phantom Menace director's chair years later. Maybe he's going, why didn't I do that? That would have been fun. So maybe there's some remorse there in the fact that he has already refused that director's chair in the Star Wars universe in the first place. And then, you know, of course, when he directed How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Dr. Seuss was there on the set. He was very demanding and he was just really controlling, you know, Dr. Seuss. Very, uh, there's, uh, what? He wasn't, Dr. Seuss wasn't there. He He was, no, he didn't. He was, he was dead by then. Oh, oh. Well, you know, in his honor, um... (laughs) Well, no, but seriously, and then here's something else to chew on. When they were trying to hire a director for The Force Awakens, maybe Ron was considered then. And you, you never know. I mean, the way things work behind closed doors. We never got that making of The Force Awakens book from J.W. Rinsler. Well, who, we, you know, we do know that they offered they offered the director's chair to... JJ, he turned them down at first. So then they probably had to shop around a little. Right. Maybe they were getting close with Ron. Let's just imagine, okay? I have mm-hmm. no idea if Ron went in there or not. But let's just say they brought in Ron to talk about The Force Awakens after JJ initially turned it down. And then maybe they were getting somewhere with him. And maybe Ron was getting a little excited about it. But then JJ said, okay, I'll do it. And Ron was heartbroken then at that point. <laughs> But you, you, yeah. that's totally a scenario I just made up in my mind. But that could have happened. That could have happened. Like it's I possible. said, it's possible. As Mark would say, <laughs> it's possible. There you go. It's possible. But um, okay, fantasy scenarios aside, we don't have that book, the making of the Force Awakens from J.W. Rinsler, and perhaps the answers to some of those questions are within the pages of a book we'll never get. And by the way, I have to say that 
if you visit jwrinsler.com and start reading his blog, The Rise and Fall of Star Wars, it's currently in, I think, about 12 parts at this point, and he's just getting warmed up. And it's an amazing and candid, behind-the-scenes look at life at Skywalker Ranch during the period of time J.W. served as an employee there. It's amazing. I cannot ever remember anyone from Lucasfilm writing a kiss and tell outside of uh, the website bandfromtheranch.com. <laughs> which is also a fascinating read, and that's been up there for quite a while. Some ILM guys dishing some dirt. But this is fantastic. This J.W. Rinsler blog is really something else. If you're interested in an unfiltered, behind-the-scenes look at what was going on at Lucasfilm over the course of the last two decades, you're going to get it in J.W. Rinsler's blog. It's, it's uh, I think, Adam Bray, Star Wars author Adam Bray, referred to it online in some post somewhere, he said, this is my summer novel here. This is my book of the summer right here. And it's J.W. Rinsler's blog. So he's, uh, he's, he's not pulling uh, punches. And like I said, you, you get the feeling he's just starting to get warmed up right now yeah. because he's talking about uh, his early times there when uh, there was a, uh, it, it seemed like a, sort of a blissful, uh, uh, ignorance is not the word to use, but just it's the honeymoon uh, period. Yeah, the honey perfect way to put it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, J. W. Rinsler is a, a, a really interesting dude. So uh, can't recommend that blog more. J. W. Rinsler dot com. Think we're done, Pally? Yeah, I would just go to the theme. Let's do the theme. Let's do the theme. That's going to wrap things up for this week here. Rebel Force Radio. Big thanks to our special guest, Teresa Delgado. You can catch up with her online. Uh, Fangirls Going Rogue. Certainly interested in the interview she's got coming up with Jennifer Murrow, showrunner for Forces of Destiny. Also, thanks to our sponsors this week, Bombfell. Check them out. Bombfell. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash R-F-R. Go there today for $25 off your first shipment of curated clothes just for you. You won't regret it. Also, tops at the Star Wars Card Trader app. Don't forget, get R-F-R all the time, all access on Patreon. You'll never miss an episode of our bonus content, which includes RFR Rush Hour, the RFR Rewinds, and RFR Q&A, plus giveaways, early access to RFR events, and so much more. We really appreciate the support. Please support independent media, patreon.com slash Radio. The email address, show at rebelforceradio.com. The voicemail line, if you'd like to be on the program, 708 320 RFR. That's 708-320-1737. You can also see us on Twitter at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swank. The Facebook page 
For breaking news, links to stories, and great conversation, you can find us at facebook.com slash rebelforceradio. And the official website for all things and everything Rebel Force Radio, just add the dot com, rebelforceradio.com, including merch. Check out the merch. Got Rebel Force Radio t-shirts and so much more iTunes still remains one of the best places to subscribe and review podcasts. You can find all of ours there. Rebel Force Radio. Look it up. Just one rule on those reviews, please. Make it good. Inner monologue. You can find Rebel Force Radio uh, streaming at WGNplus.com or even on Spotify, Google Play. As we said, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, just about anywhere else you can find podcasts. And we are a friend, an official friend of the good folks at Wikipedia.com, the ultimate online Star Wars encyclopedia. Couldn't do show prep without them. Wikipedia.com. You can also find us weekly at JediNews.co.uk, Yodasnews.com, and a link to us there on the official Star Wars website at StarWars.com. We'll see you next time, hopefully, in the afterglow. Of the last Jedi sizzle reel. The summer sizzle reel. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember... The Force will be with you. Always. Always.